0: Welcome to this special episode of From Is to Ot. This week, we have returning guest, data scientist, in front of the show, Leandra Gonzalez. In this episode, Leandra and I discuss everything from ChatGPT to culture, politics, and civics. We explore issues each of us hold dear and traverse the boundaries of our disagreements. Unlike so much of modern discourse, our journey is light, good-spirited, and aimed at understanding each other's perspectives. A quick note. At one point in our conversation, I confused the names of the author Helen Pluckrose, the mathematician Roger Penrose, and conservative philosophers Roger Scruton and Edmund Burke. Worst of all, I was actually trying to cite G.K. Chesterton in his fence analogy, comparing modern reformers to more considered ones. If you'll pardon this verbal facepalm, I hope you are able to extract elements of insight from this conversation and find this episode's artifact useful for learning more about the key ideas and voices that we discuss. Ultimately, is my sincere belief that engaging in this type of dialogue can help rebuild a coherent social fabric with deference to pluralism, but still being rooted in truth, civic compassion, and humility before God, nature, and history. Now, it is my pleasure to present my second conversation with Leander Gonzalez. Welcome back from his talk for another delightful conversation with Leandra Gonzalez. Leandra, thanks for coming back on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So last time we spoke, we discussed data science kind of at length and from a variety of angles. Um, for those looking to break in, some pros and cons, why it's shaking things up, and we're not going to be spending as much time, perhaps centrally, on data science today. But we might get into some of the you know broader issues surrounding tech and data science, and uh, go from there. But as I mentioned. Before we got started, I have to bring up ChatGPT because we're sitting here in March 2023, and I feel like if two, well, one data scientist and one aspiring data scientist and this guy, (laughs) if we don't at least mention it, then why would anyone take us seriously? So Leandre, (laughs) what's been your experience with ChatGPT and the hype and all this kind of stuff that's been going on the last, I don't know, month, maybe six weeks?
1: Yeah, it's crazy how it kind of like took over the planet um, because like everyone's talking about it, but... Actually, what I find really interesting is whenever I talk to someone who's not in tech or it's adjacent industries, they actually are not as like privy on ChatGPT. Like even my husband, he was like, what is that? So, you know, it's it's not something that everyone quite knows about yet, but I feel like it really should be because it has the potential to like change everything pretty much. Um, so I use it daily. Personally, oh wow I, um yeah i I use it for everything like i I use it to troubleshoot code, I use it for like I actually oh my gosh, okay, so I used it recently to find a book because so I was like, I always kind of want to read a certain book with a certain like premise and like certain like I'm very specific about what I want the plot to be, and so I asked it for some books. And it recommended one and I read it seriously, like from beginning to end over the weekend and it is amazing. So actually like chat GPT is really good at book recommendations, but I'll be <laughs> honest, it actually, so it actually recommended a different book. <laughs> like it didn't get the premise a hundred percent correct, but, and it had a different title, but I Googled what it was describing and that's how I found the book. So it's not all that accurate, but it's good enough for now. So yeah, I use it a lot. I think it's great and I think it has the potential to change so much in a good way.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. So that's cool. You have actually, you know, real hands-on everyday experience with it as opposed to, you know, I'm watching on the sidelines and occasionally attending little meetings or presentations. Seeing what people have been tinkering around with that's that's mm-hmm. fascinating so the for those who aren't aware, it's essentially a model and Leander feel free to clean this up to whatever extent you think it's it's appropriate. Uh, it's essentially a model that tries to predict the next like a series of words uh, one at a time um based on a description or a query that you provide to this piece of software. and so it's been very effective in helping at least with kind of from my understanding beginning to intermediate code tasks that are somewhat pernicious but not super advanced or require super efficient and lean code but it can kind of help you with that intermediate uh phase and so Mm -hmm. this has been kind of a a whirlwind of things because there's this whole meme of you know learn to code for people like right the displaced blue-collar workforce Well, why don't you just go get a a programming job and then a tool like this comes out and it's like all of a sudden Maybe not that it's going to replace programmers, but it's going to make teams able to operate with a much smaller headcount or something
2: like that.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that a lot. Folks saying like, oh, is this is going to replace programmers and software engineers and stuff. Um, maybe to a certain extent, it will mean we don't need as many. But, you know, honestly, I just think it's like it's just like um, it's just like Google. but instead of sifting through a million pages to find what you're looking for, the idea is that it will give you as accurate as a response possible at the beginning. And um, yeah, you could literally like copy and paste the code. That would be amazing too. I actually think it'll just make folks jobs m- way easier. And um, yeah, I guess I'm not, and I'm usually a pessimist, but I'm not as pessimistic about, ChatGPT as the world is making it right now. But maybe that's me being naive. I don't know.
0: Well, no, that's good. <clears throat> so, I mean, you work for Microsoft and they have a very significant relationship with OpenAI, <laughs> the, the you know, makers or providers of ChatGPT. I'm not exactly sure what the right verb is there, but um, <laughs> they brought it into existence, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, that's cool. Uh, what do you make of the... Uh, I don't know, social commentary around chat GPT, you know, there's a lot of conversations in ML over the past decade and a half or so about de-biasing algorithms, that kind of thing. And really what de-biasing is, I mean, it's a, there's technical aspects to it too, but you could just think about, it's really just rebiasing algorithms in a particular way. Uh, or, yeah. And so what do you make of that, right? Because chat GPT is not like you said it's kind of like providing like the top result for something
2: yeah um
0: and it's perhaps better than google at that but the it's a conditional top result right it's like a mm-hmm. top result subject to the fact it passes through whatever initial screen like content screen yeah. well
1: how
0: do you think that you know what do you think of that and how do you think that something like that should be governed
1: yeah that's so huge i've been thinking about that a lot actually um and i i actually thought about it like earlier when it came out, I actually asked chat about how it felt about this very topic. <laughs> like one of the first thing I, I said to it. Um, and it gave, obviously like a really, it's actually kind of funny. Sometimes it gives you like really political answers. Sometimes like, mm. like a politician, I mean, like it'll kind of dodge the question a little bit. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, But essentially I feel that. In a perfect world we wouldn't have to de-bias it, right? It would just okay. be trained appropriately in the first place. Um, but it is a little concerning to think about how it will or won't be governed because as we know, it can continue to perpetuate a, a plethora of things, depending on what the question or topic it is that mm-hmm. is fed to it. Um but it's such a powerful and transformational piece of technology that I I do feel like there should be some oversight. Okay. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, no, like big government, we want less government and all that. But I personally feel like you have to have laws for things that – used to not exist, you know, like it used to not be here. And so there was no reason to have laws on it, but we have laws for cars and stuff because, you know, we, we lived and learned from horrible things that can happen when you don't wear a seatbelt or if you don't have a license and things like that. Um, I think I mentioned this in our last chat with my husband, he works in aviation maintenance and so he fixes planes and stuff And it's it's fascinating. I always ask him about like how certain things became like, how is it that this thing doesn't go wrong on a plane? And he says, oh, well, there's a million redundancies. So like a million things would have to go wrong for the plane to come down. And I was like, that's reassuring. But like, how did you guys know to implement all those redundancies? And like 99 percent of them is because something had to go wrong first for them to know and then implement it. And so, a lot of the things that are protecting you when you're on a plane is because at some point it didn't work out, sure. uh, and there was a disaster. So, all that to say, I do think there needs to be some oversight and or transparency about how it works, mm. uh, because even I'm kind of scratching my head, like, what exactly did you feed this? What went into determine who who determined what to feed it? You mm-hmm. know. Um, and then there's also these cases coming up now, not necessarily with ChatGPT, but with AI in general, where, you know, you can like snap a photo of yourself and then get a photo of yourself as an anime character. Or mm-hmm. something. And someone's like, hey, well, they just plagiarized my work. Technically, they have a case because if you fed it their work, then you kind of used it. So, Attribution. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's a lot. What do you think?
0: That's uh, so I think that that particularly that last point is really interesting. Shameless plug. We have a Substack and a locals page and we have a newswire that comes out each week. Um, And one of the stories we're that we have, and by the way, this is not a news where we're writing a bunch of news stories. <laughs> we don't uh-huh. have the time or expertise to do that. We're just saying, oh, hey, this is an interesting story. And hopefully providing people with a less polluted news feed like you would get on social media. And so it's like literally just a bullet point list. Yeah. Nicely formatted. And one of the stories is actually about these uh, kind of AI generated content that's been trained on, you know, digital artwork and okay, well, what is the, who has legal claim? Can you claim that there was some sort of damage uh, or, you know, uh, lost path of revenue? I think mm-hmm. it's a fascinating conversation. I totally agree with your point about transparency mm-hmm. for a long time. I thought that one of the least thorny ways to deal with a lot of the stuff we see on social media is to make, Algorithm's maximally transparent. Hmm. The trouble is it's not incentive compatible for the businesses all Hmm. the time anyway. And not just because, you know, if Instagram open sources, it's algorithm, you can say, oh, hey, look, here's how you're um, selecting for things that cause heightened depression in teenage girls, particularly. Right. Hmm. So like that's incentive incompatible, obviously, but also just to the extent my query algorithm performs um, superior to yours I want to maintain that distance. And so if I have to open source something, then I lose a competitive advantage on that front. But I do think the transparency is key just because people can get really cynical about algorithms and they can think things that are going on are not. Mm. So that's one, right? This is like the conspiratorial mindset. But the other thing is like, not all conspiracies are false. It's like, uh, there's a podcaster I listen to, he, he called, he said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do notice patterns. And, <laughs> That's like, as a data scientist, that appeals to me, like for sure. (laughs) And, uh, and so there, you know, there are ways you can like play games with these things that is in the public interest to know. Another question is it's a public interest versus private interesting. And, you know, there are always a lot of risk, a lot of people for every Zuck out there, there's, (laughs) you know, thousands of people who are just going from one startup to the next and not really catching fire. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know about the governance issue. I don't have a great answer there. I am mm. for chat GPT specifically. I don't have a great answer
2: mm-hmm.
0: for social media generally in the news space. I have some thoughts, uh, Interesting uh, ways you could like incentivize um, more truthful or at least more honest news.
2: Mm.
0: And that's, I mean, that's been one of folks on for the last three and a half years or so, but I I run afoul a lot of of a lot of the misinformation and disinformation crowd who consider themselves experts, because, well, <laughs> they're well, they're not they, they're like their their claim to expertise is just like based on a shaky foundation at best, mm-hmm. and so what can you do for governance? You definitely don't want to just have an unconstrained wild west world of algorithms, but maybe you want to give people a, a suite of algorithms and let the user choose something like that, oh. um, right? Nice. So that you could say, okay, well. I'm not making the selective choice as open AI about what you're using. Mm-hmm. You, If, if you're ready for, ready for the Wild West version of ChatGPT, mm-hmm. that's what you can elect to use. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's probably okay for individual users, but if something like, I think last time we spoke, you talked about you had gone to a conference mm-hmm. or workshop yeah. where there was some like uh, predictive policing. That's what I understood it to be. Yep. And mm-hmm. so if you just turn... Governed or ungoverned algorithms loose on a problem like that, there's all sorts of really kind of antisocial consequences that could arise from that, that could be avoided by being, by having a better governance structure in place. But how that evolves in a way that generates um, like a consensus is not obvious to me.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a couple interesting things you said, um, like the transparency bit, right? I think, unfortunately, at least in this country, people are not like super savvy or even want to be super savvy about like the things that go on under the hood. And so... You could be transparent, and you you probably could explain in layman's terms what's going on and allow them to have the choice to like kind of choose how they want to be targeted or or whatnot. But I wonder if that would I wonder how interesting that would be to the the average person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wonder if they would even care to read the fine print like that because Mm. if it's presented to you like this really small, you know, like no one reads that. No one reads, reads terms and conditions, you know, Mm -hmm. so I wonder how effective that would be. It's a good
0: question. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't want us to live in a society where increasingly larger and larger swaths of the population are treated like children. Yeah. Incapable of making their own decisions, but you're right. Mm Like, if something is buried in fine print in 12 pages of legalese, like, I'm not reading that. And I'm interested in this stuff. So, like, you know, good luck. So, I don't know. Um, It's, I think you have to make the choice selecting uh, that kind of inflect that like, singularity point where the choice selection occurs. You have to make that as frictionless and seamless as possible. And I don't know. I mean, you're going to have influences, individuals, organizations. Legal frameworks that put selective pressure among the the choices within a suite of algorithms, let's say and and a lot of people cognitively offload their selection to the people that influence them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think that's a new problem; it's just no. new to this context, perhaps mm-hmm. but I don't know um, hmm. okay, <laughs> so actually, I do have a question if you don't mind,
2: yeah,
0: I've struggled with this for a while. Because I don't know what to think about this, uh, but you were at this conference, and about this predictive policing thing. yeah. so there's two things that are like really thorny as far as I can tell about this. One is that you can train a model on something that is a low resolution proxy for mm-hmm. what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And what it can do is it can exploit that statistical association. To a point where not only is it kind of a bastardized model that's not actually reflective of reality, but it's also helping break down that original statistical relationship between mm-hmm. that proxy that you, you've optimized for and the actual outcome.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it can also reinforce things like uh, it could put more, peop- more police resources in some communities and fewer in others. And mm-hmm. that, rather than the actual criminal behavior, is what is then reflected in subsequent results observed. So that's one set of issues. And and obviously there's as second order consequences of that. There could be animosity between different communities, either because of being under policed or being over policed. Like yeah. I, could think, I could see either argument or both, but uh, yeah. the other issue is what do you think about the argument where people, some people would say, well, all that matters is prediction. If you implement this and crime goes down net, you know, net, net, The I don't think much of rationalism, but the rationalist Mm -hmm. case would be something like, well, it functionally served its role. So on balance, it's okay, or it's justified. What do you think of either of those problems?
1: Yeah, you're asking like all the hard questions today, Michael.
0: (laughs) Sorry, you're you're totally allowed to ask me too. And you can also pass the buck. It's all good.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think a lot of people, I mean, maybe not a lot of people think about this, but I definitely think about this um, a lot. Um, you know, especially the political climate we have these days, or maybe we've always had it, I don't know. Um, It's really hard. I'm not sure if there is a right answer to that question. I, I think it's a moral question that society needs to work out, because ultimately you can decide that All we care about is the result. That's all we care about. Or as a society, you can say, no, we don't just care about the result. There has to be checks and balances. And there's some other things that shouldn't happen as a result of that model, even if it is accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess this is probably like, like with medicine, right? Like, Or even like selling products. Like as a society, many of us don't want animals to be experimented on so that we can try a new shade of lipstick, but If it results in a crazy shade of lipstick, why not, you know? So, yeah, I think it's a moral question. If you're asking my particular opinion, um, I have actually gone back and forth with this. I've actually gone back and forth with it myself because at the same time, you could target specific communities and have a lot of, like, false positives Mm -hmm. where someone is Maybe, you know, it might become harassment over time if you're constantly targeting these people and they're they're not doing anything. And I think there's also an argument that and people don't like to talk about this very much, but there may be people in those over-policed communities who actually believe there needs to be more policing in those communities because yeah. there's so much crime, you know, it's like. So it's. I don't know, man, I go back and forth. At this point today, I do think that there needs to be, we shouldn't just go on like, yeah, this is the result and it's better. So like what else happened as a result of that model, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. So I think that's where I sit today, but I've definitely gone to the like, well, those communities need policing anyways. And if it reduces crime for people who live there, then why not? So I've gone back and forth between that. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Well, I, I, first, I'm like really heartened to hear how much tension there is because I'm glad that this is a hard problem, not just something that I think is challenging, um, <laughs> but has a straightforward answer. So, I, yeah, I totally agree that there's um, – it's not even the things that are necessarily competing against each other in terms of priorities. It's just that there's an, an irreducible level of tension between type 1 and type 2 errors in yeah. so many of the problems today. And this is, as you mentioned, pervasive in politics. And so, rather than have politics be the fundamental way we view people and categorize or anchor our beliefs or perceptions about folks, like I'd rather just talk. And to your point earlier, I can't remember if this was part of the podcast or before the podcast. You said, "Well, why would an introvert have their own podcast?" And the answer is like because this. Because I think that for hard questions, you have to talk them through. You mentioned, you know, society needs to have a voice in this. And the voices re- pre- present in society need to have their say,
2: right. and
0: and you said something like, you know, hey, you know, if this thing perpetuates stereotypes or or makes harassment worse, um, that can be destructive. But at the same time, there are these there are the other people in the community who actually might really want this policing, and if if uh, an area was cleaned up, maybe private enterprise can move in and that would be better for the community. And So I think that there's not a single one size fits all answer, but what might help is if people just started when they talk with someone that they think they disagree with or, or that they know they disagree with
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: is to say, okay, well, what do, what are like, let's just write out the bullet points of things we don't want to see happen. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you're not, if you're like, if someone says I'm strictly against any form of predictive policing, Mm -hmm. I need like me as someone who is not, there but can understand where it could go wrong i need to have a signal from the person i'm talking to that i can internalize that says okay this person is against predictive policing but they're not for crime or they're not anti-accountability or they're not you know what i mean Mm
2: -hmm. and so
0: like it helps paint a more complete picture of the people that you're interacting with and i think that's actually how representative government is supposed to work yeah Um, but it's it's tough when it's such a polarized environment, because like, what's the incentive to talk to someone you disagree with or might disagree with?
1: Yeah. And that's unfortunate that that's kind of how we think, because I love talking to people I disagree with. I always want to understand where they're coming from. And I want to understand, like, is it a cultural thing that they arrive to their mindset or are they just hateful? Like, sure. do they even see themselves as that way or like? What is the history on this? You know, Um, but I'm curious, Michael, do you think that like algorithmic policing, do you think folks should be able to vote on a thing like that?
0: Vote on whether they want to instantiate it?
1: Yeah. Or like, should they be the ones to create that bullet list that you're talking about? Yeah.
0: Oh, I see. I see. Uh, so I, the bullet point list is much more like, you know, you and I are having a conversation. Maybe we come at this from similar perspectives, maybe mm-hmm. opposite perspectives. We put together a list of a half dozen things that we say, these are the things we were for. And these are the things we're against. And we agree on these things, but we disagree on how to get there. Something like that
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in terms
0: of developing a model. That's a little bit harder because there's only, there's going to be a select group of individuals who do that. But yeah. s- the civil process for that, that's a great question because you don't want to just, def- I don't I'm not advocating for something like simple majority rule. I think there mm-hmm. could be a tyranny. I mean, there's plenty of historic evidence, of yeah. <laughs> all kinds of tyranny of a majority. So I'm not, and I'm mm-hmm. even in the modern context in the States where it's less severe than it has been in the past, I still think that tyranny of the majority is a huge threat um, mm-hmm. to stability civilly. So mm-hmm. that's not what I'm saying. But I actually don't think, I don't think even for all our technical sophistication and as much as we like to think we know, I don't think you get to shortcut the hard work of actually winning hearts and minds. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, it's, it goes back to like the fake news stuff I've been studying in research. You can't just <laughs> censor your way to consensus. That's not how it works.
2: Yeah. And so yeah. It's,
0: how do you, how do you win hearts and minds? It's, I'm not saying you need to go up there and be the best snake oil salesman or snake, you know, snake wheel saleswoman, I guess, mm-hmm. but you do need to actually kind of the, the cliche is meet people where they are. Yeah. But the real I think nugget there is to say like, no, no, you need to actually understand what, as you mentioned, why people believe what they believe. Yeah. And there's a guy, another guy who is on the Freedom Freedomcast network. His name is Sam. Actually, I think mm-hmm. you may have listened to one yeah. of the episodes. Yeah. So he's an engineer by trade, like physical engineer, not digital. And yeah, uh, yeah. he is a big fan of a guy named uh, Dennis Prager, which I think you're familiar oh. with. Is Prager. he is he like Prager U? Prager he, U. He's the founder. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So okay. um Sam is I, I don't this isn't a four letter word in our circles and also I don't think he'd buy me. He's a fairly conservative guy. Okay. Um, but one of the greatest quotes that he kind of made me aware of from Dennis Prager is that whenever he has a conversation with someone about, you know, it's easy to have like small talk with people, but if you're having a conversation about something serious, his goal is not to convince the other person, it's to understand them. Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay, because that's like the preconditions for anyone changing their mind is actually understanding where they're coming from.
1: Yeah,
0: and it's like, and I don't know if that's a conservative, strictly speaking, insight because I can yeah, see okay. a small L liberal way you would arrive at that as well, yeah. uh, or even even <laughs> a progressive activist way you might arrive at that same kind of core notion. If
2: yeah.
0: as long as you're not focused on the outcome of convergence, you can get there over a protracted conversation um, and it's going to happen at a scale, you know, that's uh, relevant for the governance that's going to be in place. So I don't know So if if Harris County is like, we have a ballot measure, are we going to implement predictive policing?
2: Mm.
0: Like would I vote up or down on that. I have no idea
2: Mm -hmm.
0: because I would want, I would want to know the details and I would want to hear the people who are going to be in charge of adjudicating it. Like,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: how are you going to know if this goes off the rails? Like what safeguards are in place, right? To your husband's analogy, what redundancies do you have built in so that if things start to, if it looks good at first pass, like it's making things better, crime's going down, yeah. but it's, um, we, you know, we have the third ward here in Houston, it's a rough place.
2: Yeah, and It's like
0: now all of a sudden what happens if um, there's a whole lot more single parent households? It's like, yeah. you don't think that that's going to cause some like downstream consequences too? Um, yeah. So it's yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a tough question, but it's a fair one. Cause I asked you and so it's fair for you to turn around and ask me.
1: At the <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when I get these difficult questions, I'm like, man, I wonder if he has the answer, you know, um, that is a hard one, though. And you mentioned something that kind of like made me go, huh. You mentioned that, you know, the the concept of having a conversation with folks, not with the aim of convincing them, but just to listen mm-hmm. and whether or not that's like a conservative type and now uh, like a thing that, that leans conservative. Sure. And you actually made me start thinking and it. It kind of made me feel like, man, is it? Because. Like, I get so confused these days with. The difference between like. A liberal and the stereotype of a liberal, a progressive and the stereotype of progressive mm. and the stereotype of a, prog- of a conservative. And. Stereotypically, I think you're right. I don't think liberals are very like, I want to know your opinion, you know. Like, I think it's more so like, yeah, I'll hear your opinion, but mm. here's like here's why you're wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's to like placate. Yeah, that's the
1: stereotype. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I would like to think that um, I would like to think that there are people on all sides who can genuinely be convinced, you know, if there's like a compelling argument, Um, but I think you know we're so polarized as a country that a lot of people feel like they already kind of know what they need to know about those other people, Um, either because they've been fed that way, or they just had a lot of interactions with folks who happen to actually have that reasoning. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that kind of makes, it's not good for discourse, I'll say, because you do start to assume a lot about the other side. And something that I've learned, um, something that I've learned as someone who's lived in California, and then now I'm back in the Midwest, um, I actually used, I hate to say this out loud, I used to consider myself to be liberal before I moved to California. Um... And then when I was in California, I felt like I was pretty progressive, and in a lot of ways, I I still do feel pretty progressive. Um, and I definitely distance myself from like the liberal, you know, classification. Um, but I realized some things about myself, and maybe it's because I was raised in the Midwest that you know I'm I'm a little bit more right leaning apparently compared to like. My husband, who was born and raised in California. And that was actually really weird to experience. So I was like, I'm not a conservative, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> not that I have anything against conservatives, but I just, I never classified myself that way. Sure. Um, and what's weird is you hear a lot of conversation about like the middle folks, like the people who are in the middle. Um, and that supposedly most people, I guess, are in the middle. I don't know how much I believe that because. I don't consider myself to be in the middle at all, but I do consider myself to lean one way or the other, depending on the the issue. Um, there's some issues I'm probably am really conservative on, and there's issues that I'm actually pretty progressive on. So um, everyone's a mixed bag, I guess, is the point of all that.
0: No, I, I think that, okay, so I, I also agree about this in the middle category, like moderates or independents.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. First,
0: there's a pretty... I think we'll establish fact that in the mid 2000s or so and onward, they're like, Republicans have a terrible brand, mm. at least in modern context. Historically, it's been pretty good, but modern context, it's not so great. Um, they really need to work on their branding. Um, not that many creative types in, in that side. But anyway, they, what's happened is that there's been a defection of some people from what who would used to call themselves Republicans who now call themselves independents. But when, they, when it comes time to vote, they tend to vote republican, right? Yeah. So there's that, but in terms of like strict ideologues, people who, you know, um for example, would uh vote down ballot all one party. There's there's reasons you might do that based on a collection of heterodox ideas, but typically that's a pretty good marker for someone who is ideological. Um Yeah. And and I'm not even using that as a pejorative. I just think that that's a fair description.
2: Yeah.
0: So I think I like your conceptualization better, which is something like, well, I have a position on the political issues I care about, and sometimes it aligns with this group, and sometimes it aligns with that group, and maybe that's what it means to be, to be independent mm. of a political party or something like yeah. that. And
2: it's like, yeah. okay, that
0: seems fine, but I think that's actually speaks that's better, because I, would, I like politics better uh, when you can solve you're not going to solve big, grandiose problems, especially with a government structure like ours, which I think is to our benefit. Like, I think the design of our government structure has been pretty brilliant. It's just been over the past, let's say, 70 years or so, uh, <laughs> some of the safeguards have been taken off and we've allowed certain branches of government to overreach uh, so that others didn't have to do their job. But mm. the 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 tougher part is this thing where it's like no one wants to do the thing of where you go and consensus build. Yeah. So um, there's a guy named uh, Jimmy Dore.
1: Oh, yeah, I know Jimmy Dore. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Okay. Am I getting a thumbs up <laughs> or a thumbs down vibe?
1: I actually uh, I actually went to one of his shows when I was in l a because he does oh, like stand up, yeah. yeah, um he' I don't know where he sits now, man. He was like super dumb, progressive. And then now he's kind of like wavering a little bit. i don't I haven't watched him in a while, but Fair. um I was i, yeah, I uh, can we can we pass on here? Yeah, yeah, go for it, please, All right. yeah. I fucked with him before. Like he was uh-huh. definitely someone that I was like, yeah, he's got some good points. You mm. know, people say he's a controversial figure, but um,
0: that just means interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just, he, he'll tell you what he thinks, and he doesn't really have a filter. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a great way to describe Jimmy Dore. He, <laughs> he's um, he's certainly to the left of me, for example. But that's because, yeah, I mean, he's pretty far left of most people. I th- I don't know if his politics have changed that much. So mm. much as that, the social climate is. It's not even like a oh, I didn't leave the left, the left, left me, which is for some people kind of how they yeah. feel. For him, mm-hmm. I think it's just that he is a skeptic of big institutional power. Yeah. And I think, for example, he was on a, a very prominent Libertarians podcast, Patrick, mm. bet David last week or mm-hmm. two weeks ago, maybe. And I'm sure they don't agree on much, uh, but <laughs> that's okay. They could talk about Corruption, because they both care about that, right? You progressive would care about corruption as well as would a libertarian, because their whole thing is like get the government out of there, and you'll get rid of this cronyism. Yeah, (laughs) and so it's like, all right, well, that's interesting. But Jimmy Dore brought up a point. He was on kind of on a podcast circuit. He he kept telling the story about I forget the gentleman's name, which is terrible because I should remember since I heard it like three times. But the uh, Amazon warehouse organizer from Buffalo Um, um. who helped them unionize up there. Buffalo is, I mean, we think of New York as pretty liberal, and Manhattan certainly is. Like maybe not, not even liberal, left wing, <laughs> but, but, uh, but Buffalo's not, you know, upstate's not, that's a little bit more rough in that country. And so what he had to do is he had to get a whole bunch of factory workers, you know, Amazon warehouse workers, essentially, uh, who vote as a block, generally conservative to agree to unionize. It's like, well, how are you going to do that? And yeah. it's like, well, he did it. So he won hearts and minds somewhere. I, I just take that as a signal that he's speaking to something that kind of draws in people from pluralistic perspectives and maybe you have to make the case differently to different people but you need mm-hmm. to you need to you have the social obligation to your fellow citizens to make the case yeah. not to try and impo- not to try and grab the government gun to impose mm-hmm. your will top down mm-hmm. so that's all I would say is I think and well, sorry just really quickly to clean up something I said earlier Dennis Prager was the one who mentioned that you know seek to understand not to convince yeah I don't know. I can I can see where the conservative ethos is there. I can see where the small L liberal ethos is there, like this free speech, free discourse type thing. But even, you know, this, again, this Amazon worker who's a progressive up in, in Buffalo, at least to my understanding, mm-hmm. I can see the progressive of those. Like, that's the whole collective action thing, right?
2: Mm-hmm. It's like,
0: hey, we have common interests. And yeah. so I can see where it, uh, different ethos can speak to a specific issue. It doesn't mean you're going to, we're all going to be, you know, kumbaya and like solve all these <laughs> problems. But I do think that if you take them in isolation, it's going to be much better than, you know, saying, "Hey, your team red or your team blue," and <laughs> you're either on Truth Social or you're on Mastodon and like you know,
1: mm-hmm. screaming, <laughs> screaming into the void. <laughs> so. It's funny you say that because um, there's this conservative. Well, they probably won't call. They maybe they do. It's a radio station that plays music, but the host is very conservative. Um, it's a popular like rock station here in Indianapolis. I don't remember his name. Uh, I think it's two guys actually, but something that they were talking about the other day was um, how, I guess a little bit of both sides like to throw a bunch of different issues inside of the same bill. And he was like complaining about how they do that all the time. Yes. And like, yeah. And he was like, can we just like stick to one topic so we can all vote on that? Because like, there's some things we might actually all agree on, but mm-hmm. when you're throwing everything in the bag, there's something, I mean, it's almost inevitable that it's going to be divisive, you know? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember when we were, so I had the good fortune of being a junior scholastic reporter when I was in like seventh <laughs> grade with my friend, Nikki, shout out to Nikki. He's an airline pilot now, um, just oh. doing great things. Uh, it was the height of, probably not both of our careers, but certainly mine. And he, we had this thing where we were covering the 2004 campaign. Mm-hmm. And so we went to like this democratic caucuses in Oklahoma and all this other stuff it was a lot of fun, but the big hot button issue then was like pork barrel spending. Like, Hey, we want to get like all this, like I'll only vote for your bill. If you allow me to, you know, kind of sneak in money for my district and vice yeah. versa. And you just have like this ballooning budget, which Turns out that that didn't solve the problem, but the, but, you know, you can kind of understand why that would be, uh, you know, an issue that creates perverse incentives.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And now I, I agree. There was a Matt Gates who is not particularly loved by people on the left half of the aisle and not even really liked by some people on the right half of the aisle. Uh, but I think he mm-hmm. said something that's inarguably true. And it was about that specific issue, which is, Hey, I was appalled when I had to vote my first session in Congress, I had to vote on the farm bill, whether to authorize war in Yemen. It's wow. like, <laughs> and it's like, is he really voting to authorize war in Yemen or is he voting to like sell arms to maybe like the Saudis and, you know, to yeah. continue that. but it's like, yeah, why are we doing that? <laughs> like, and, and that's not, a, there's nothing about that that says that this has to be a conservative position that, Hey, we should vote on bracketed bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I golly so yeah that, that kind of stuff like but again that goes like you know my mother's true dye in the wool uh kind of like reagan democrat type
1: okay. um mm-hmm.
0: and it's like i could show her that and i, I don't expect i don't know but i don't think she has any fondness for matt gates but i don't expect that she would disagree with anything there it's like great wow so like why aren't we focusing on that instead of whatever the heck we're focusing on i i
1: yeah. i
0: don't have a good answer.
1: I want to know why they do it. Like, Oh yeah. Is it a tactic to get a bill to not pass or something? Like, I'm I'm just curious why, like what's the strategy behind that?
0: I think so. If you're someone who, so yeah, I do think that there's like, it's a little bit of like reverse engineering pork barrel spending, right? You're kind of in in rounding things like, Hey, vote for this thing. That's in my interest, put it in your bill and I'll, you'll have my support. But even Uh, more than that, I don't know if like, for example, if you had to vote on a bill in isolation for like farm subsidies for ethanol, mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's controversial in some ways. Like for sure, there's considerations there. But if you then had to vote on a separate bill standalone about whether to authorize arms sales to the Saudis for their campaign in Yemen, and there's like all that's like super complicated beyond mm-hmm. what my understanding, but that's in effect what's happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then it's like, who wants to be on the record voting for that?
2: You yeah. know what I mean?
0: <laughs> so you could say, "Oh no, I voted for the farm bill." And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, yeah," but it authorized whatever, however, hundred billion dollars in arms sales or whatever it was. Yeah. And it's like, "Oh well, yeah," but I wasn't voting for that part of it. And no one—how is anyone going to say yes or no to yeah. like, what you were voting for versus what you weren't? Mm-hmm.
1: It's crazy. Maybe it's some deniability, I guess. Then, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Plausible deniability, exactly. Um, yeah. but you—you you know what I mean? Like just. Going back to your transparency point from the algorithm conversation, it's like make it transparent. Vote yeah. on the thing you're voting on.
1: Yeah, if you have a healthcare exactly.
0: bill; it should be about healthcare.
1: <laughs> who knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that if we could just at least bundle things in a specific topic, at the very least, I think that would be beneficial. To I don't know who would be against that. Yeah, yeah,
0: you know? yeah. I agree. I think that's. It seems pretty uncontroversial. There's there's a push for that in the House, at least right now. And I, and I do think that that will get support from some unlikely, like you'll have some unlikely allies in that fight. But I don't know if it'll ever pass muster with this current Senate, but we'll see. I mean,
1: yeah. things
0: change, you know, slowly and then quickly. So,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: So I have a quick question for you about. So you mentioned that you felt you grew up in Ohio, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OK, so
0: that, that's like. You know that was purple country for a long yeah. time,
2: yeah, and yeah. you
0: move out to l a, which is not, let's say. And, uh, <laughs> and you felt so you felt yourself going from liberal to progressive, something like that mm-hmm. and and then you also kind of discovered that, well, actually, maybe hold some a couple beliefs here and there that are maybe more conservative or mm-hmm. held by conservatives, more traditional, something like that. Yeah. So what is it about what what was pulling you? Leftward from liberal to and the spectrum is not exact, but from yeah, liberal yeah. to progressive, and then what uh, kind of also anchored you to some of the more conservative ideals you have, and you could talk about at any level of specificity you want. I'm just curious yeah. about what that those dynamics were like.
1: Yeah, I think I think it has a lot to do with one's perspective on life. Um, I always kind of like to joke that like liberals they believe everyone is good and deserves a good chance and deserves the benefit of the doubt. Whereas I feel like conservatives just don't like, they don't trust anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) And they think that anything you do is like on you, you know, and like you are what you do and there is no like, Oh, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to treat you how you behave and that's the end of the story Mm. and that's probably oversimplification but that's kind of how I've always looked at it and um I think growing up being in a purple state I always felt that people do deserve the benefit of the doubt um I feel like and and maybe it's because of my upbringing too because I you know I was basically born in the hood you know like I, I didn't have anything I was you know, I was raised poor and I saw good people in those situations, including my family. And I was like, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Like they deserve a little bit of a help, you know, like just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the juxtaposition of moving to L.A. sort of woke me up and reminded me that. Not everyone is like that, though, you know, not everyone worked hard and just needed a little bit of break. There are some people who very much rely on that break to live, you know, like there are this. people who make wrong decisions. Like that's a thing. And I think LA is a really good place to experience that because you see a lot of, you see a lot of stuff. You see a lot of homelessness, you see, you know, a lot of people choosing the potential to be famous over being able to pay their bills. Oh. That's a very common thing in LA. And it's like, at what point is it the government's responsibility to finance you trying to become famous? And so I think being exposed to that kind of culture almost made me have some slightly more conservative stances because I do people, I still believe that people deserve a break. I do. And there are some things that I'm pretty progressive on and I'm still really solidly progressive on it. Like, um, like universal healthcare. That's something I'm very solid on, but there are other things where it's like, you know, Hey man, maybe this, maybe there's something to this whole, like immigration stuff or like maybe there's something to this like we should help people but only to a certain extent and they need to like stand on their two feet at some point it's not so-and-so's it's not so-and-so's job to to pay for your xyz um so i think that was sort of my journey just going from being super optimistic and well Trusting, I guess, of people and their intentions to seeing maybe the uglier side of life in LA, to be honest with you.
0: Well, I'm glad you're back in the Midwest. It sounds like that, that is a killer, you know, <laughs> spot to be. And uh, I also am a big fan of folks from the Midwest. You know, I'm from mostly the South my whole life, mm-hmm. Texas, Oklahoma, but Oklahoma, you get Midwest E. And uh, I agree. I think the people, well, there's great people all over the country, but I like the the spirit of the Midwest in that way. Hmm. <clears throat> I do think, so I want, I want to ask you about the universal healthcare thing in a second, yeah. but but that's in some sense, not the thing that first gripped me from this. So I, I think that you said, you know, living that experience and kind of seeing that, that environment firsthand, it sounds to me like you saw multiple environments firsthand. And yeah. so you said, start as an optimist. And this is kind of what you said, you know, the liberal thing was like, everyone deserves a chance. You know, you want to give everyone a chance. And then on the other side, there could be a tendency towards pessimism, which is something like, "Yeah, there's gonna be people who free ride and abuse the system and make society worse and um, cause us to underachieve collectively, and will be underwriting their underachievement personally." Yeah. And can the conservative ethos is like, "Nope, <laughs> like you get out what you get in," <laughs> something like that. That's and I, I don't think the answer is pessimism or optimism. I mean, mm. I'm I'm a for a while I was pretty pessimistic and mm-hmm. now it's like, I just make the choice to be like white pilled. I try and seek out situations where I'm like as bad as things are, like I'm I'm religious. So I, I believe that there's something beyond this world anyway. Mm. But I also think because I had a philosophical existential crisis over a couple of years <laughs> and it's like, now I'm like, no, no, no. Like even if it's, even if it is all going to hell in a handbasket, I can slow the speed at which we get there. However, mm-hmm. humbly. And so I think the answer is something like just being realistic. And that's, it sounds to me like that's what you're saying. It's like, there's a balance for these things.
1: Mm-hmm. I want
0: people to have welfare if they need it. That's, yeah. that's part of the social contract in America. We're yeah. a rich society. We're a productive society. We're a first rate nation. And not only that, but you, whoever you are, I care about you because you're my fellow American. And at mm-hmm. the same time, you say something, and this is, by the way, for folks who forget this in 2015, 2016, this was a Bernie Sanders position.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. we want
0: this very, lo- he wants a much larger welfare system, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: very pro welfare, but also very pro national sovereignty.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Talked about the border. It's like, hey, we can only take on so much social welfare if we also bring in folks from other nations. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's, I don't see why it is this way now, but I don't see why it is necessarily the case that. People on the left half of the spectrum need to be pigeonholed into being anti-national sovereignty with respect to the border. Yeah, Um, it's not. It doesn't make sense. Even neocons, like they're pretty open borders ish on economic issues. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's like I would. I would really like to see that more, where people who are on the left say, like, no, 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 like we want to take in. You know, there's a certain number of refugees we could take in a year. Great. I also want to see people talk more. Positively, this is my bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call America the Great Melting Pot. If you're going to be a Great Melting Pot, you need the fondue. You need the cheese to melt, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to be so great. And, yeah. and that doesn't mean that you lose the individual identity. It may it means something like you sacrifice a part of that to contribute it to the collective identity, which is then made richer. But mm-hmm. where there is some cultural norms that that govern these things, and and it's an unpopular thing to do. But I actually think that broadly speaking over time we've gotten that more right than we've gotten it wrong and i Mm. so i'm unapologetic about about that as a general conclusion i think you know hey assimilation is a good thing and Mm. i i mean i live in houston (laughs) like the food here is unreal like you know what i mean and it's from every corner of the world yeah and it's like yeah like that's to me like that's the great thing you know i can drive down the street and we get amazing Indian food i drive up the road we've got great middle eastern food wow drive you know down to pasadena you know there's incredible street tacos and it's just like you know it's like genuine stuff it's not like nothing wrong with tex-mex but it's not you know chilies or something like that (laughs) Um, but but it's like okay yeah that's but also what are they they're also participating in this embodiment of like the american dream and people get so cynical about that it's like no 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 i don't why do we have to give up on that like just because we all grew up with john stewart and he was like funny but it also like remind us that everything was corrupt it's like i don't Mm -hmm. i don't think that's the way anymore
1: yeah i see so you're saying like well do you think this is more so like a left problem right like where folks are like it's almost like not cool to be like patriotic essentially i we started freedom cast um, And mm-hmm. we put
0: freedom in there. And one of the things we were very conscious of, we took like a year and a half to found the company, which is hilarious mm-hmm. considering it's just like <laughs> talking to a microphone. Um, and we, we do some other stuff too. It's pretty cool. But we went back and forth about the number one conversation we had about the company name was when we were deciding on Freedomcast was we don't want to be viewed as like a right-wing network. Even if as a general rule, we probably do lean conservative as a group.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And because I don't view anything about the aspirations of individual sovereignty and liberty as strictly right wing. I know why the right wing gets there, but I mm-hmm. don't see why that is anti-progressive or anti-liberal. Right. And so so no, the answer is no. I and John Stewart actually had this great point when he was standing up kind of protesting the uh war in Iraq. He said, I'm really mm-hmm. tired of being called anti-patriotic because I don't want to send yeah. troops overseas to die. Mm-hmm. I I don't I think that patriotism can take many um embodied forms. Yeah. But I do see something um the only place I see this is from the left, but it's not generally applicable right. to the left, which is that the notion of being patriotic about this country is not worthwhile, at least. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't see that form of critique from conservatives, let's say. So uh-huh. I so yes, but no, not as a general rule, but to the extent it exists, I see it on that side of the aisle. But you mm-hmm. know, it could be just a, a, a bias in terms of the circles I run in, very well could be.
1: No, that's interesting. I I think maybe there's some truth in there because I actually had a little bit of a moment when my husband and I moved here. We had to change our license plates. And Indiana, you know, like any other state, you kind of get a couple of choices. And one of them, like, just mad sports the American flag on it. And I remember being like, you're not going to get that one. (laughs) And I I don't know why that was my reaction, but I was kind of like, I don't know. It just seems... Like, it did feel like you're claiming to be a conservative just by having a license plate with a flag on it. And I, and my husband was like, I, that doesn't mean I'm conservative. Like, I could be patriotic, too. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you're right, you can. Yeah. Um. So I, I do think that that is something that happens on the left. And I think the reason why, Michael, is because a lot of people probably don't feel very patriotic right now just because of all the, like. Things that they disagree with, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, man, like the country's gone wrong and they're doing all sorts of stuff I don't agree with. But it is interesting that conservatives, I'm sure, have their, you know, have their battles with the American politics, but they Mm -hmm. still remain patriotic. And now I'm wondering, like, why that is, like, how is it so easy to... Disagree so much with your country and then still be patriotic—it's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Leandra. The the thing I would say is like, I mean, I get like it's like an emotional experience sometimes thinking about it. it's like, wow, like all of the generations and all of the bloodshed and all of the imperfection and how unlikely it is that we would be here right now. It's like, whoa, like yeah, kind of like what I view it for me personally. It's like, what right do I have to think that? Those who came before me didn't do something great by affording me to be where I am today. And Mm -hmm. that's within my family, but it's also within my broader community reaching out to my country and to our country. And I think that one of the things that is different is that the conservatives who embrace patriotism from a reasoned perspective say something like, America is not just an idea it has to instantiate itself in reality. It has to be a a distinct country, but it also is an idea imperfectly realized, but less imperfectly over time. But it was good by its nature. Like it was justly founded and unjustly realized as opposed to being unjustly founded and unjustly realized. Mm. And it's like, that's a messy history because like no one wants to, like no one is sitting here arguing that like the genocide of native Americans, which yeah, like again, grew up in Oklahoma. Like,
3: <laughs> I get it.
0: Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, terrible atrocities that happened, regardless of what was ha- of the atrocities that were happening before, you know, Columbus ever hit the shores in the Caribbean. Like, to be mm-hmm. sure, like violence is not unique to, unique to American history or the American experience, but it is also part of it. Um, but mm-hmm. the thing, it's like, um, I mean, you know about uh, convergent and discriminant validity. It's like, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. what are the things
0: that you know kind of govern what it means to be a nation state? It's like, great. Those are the things that they all have in common. That's our convergence. But what is it that delineates between nation states? So, well, it's borders, but it's also borders, physical borders, but it's also metaphysical borders, the borders of the the ideas and the ideals. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And it's weird that it has become, at least it's perceived this way, that it's a conservative thing to say something like, no, 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 those aspects that do delineate us from other countries or us from previous versions of ourselves are worth defending. It's I view it as this is one of my favorite. I don't remember if I stole this. If I stole it, it's from a guy named Eric Weinstein, so
2: Mm.
0: all credit to him. We can just assume I stole it from him. That's fine. Um, Mm. But he talks about, he's a physicist, well, kind of a physicist. Mm. He talks about what Einstein did to Newton was he expanded Newton. He didn't say Newtonian physics doesn't work. He said it's incomplete.
2: Mm. It works,
0: but it's not sufficient to Mm. explain the universe. And I view that as opposed to You know, the conservative perspective, some conservatives will say, well, the constitution is dead because the civil rights movement essentially replaced it. And Mm. even if we agree with the ends of the civil rights movement, we don't agree with the new means that are in place. But Mm. I think about what King did as what as analogous to what Einstein did. Mm. King said something like, No, 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 like this is good. I'm not gonna do away with this, but I'm gonna recover it and make it a a more concentrated realization. Of mm-hmm. the ideals you claim to espouse, and I mm-hmm. was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's good. Like that's you know, small p progress. And just like I would say that I don't see any reason that the people on the left can't be patriotic. I don't see any reason why people on the right can't celebrate. And I do think some, I think most do. But there's a there's an element on the right that that look cynically on the civil rights. movement. It's like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: no, it's not at all obvious to me that that's something to be cynical about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And even from your own perspectives.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I'm so glad I asked that because it is something I've been curious about. Um, and that's really fascinating. So you're saying that, like, basically, conservatives tend to celebrate the spirit of America more so than its execution or its realization.
0: Yeah, they say something like the um, the principles and ideals that we have claimed to espouse and actually did espouse to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Those are worth defending, and that is not the same thing as saying that we think it was good that Thomas and, Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. Like yeah. we can be anti that and still think, for his time, Thomas Jefferson was among the greatest men, at least in this hemisphere, um, by the fruits that his tree has borne, including the emancipation of slaves. And so it's like, but, you know, how do you have that kind of like nuanced conversation? First of all, you're not going to do that on like cable news or social media, but, but maybe you can do it in podcasts, right? Or you can do it at a coffee shop and you can do it with like friends. And it's like, okay, that's a start, right? You're doing it in your community. So Mm. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's something like they say that the ideals on which the country are founded are worth, are worthy of defense.
1: Hmm. Okay, so I have a question, Michael. Go for um it, Please. This is very interesting actually. Um So from a conservative like perspective, for instance, would you say that, you know, that spirit or those like principles and values that the country was founded on, do you feel like is there a are there any asterisks assigned to that? And the reason why I say it like that is because, like, the country was founded on freedom of like religion and freedom of like speech and like for representation in government and all of that. Um, but to be fair, it was only restricted to like a certain group of people at that time, mm-hmm. right? And we evolved, you know, we evolved and changed that, but do conservatives further specify or do they qualify like what era or like what parts of freedom (laughs) now
2: when did it
0: become worth defending that's a great so i think that it probably depends like on the conservative so i mean you're asking this conservative and i mean i don't I'm certainly the more conservative in, in our conversation. Like, I think that's a fair statement. No problem. And, and again, I don't view it as a four-letter word, just like I don't view progressive as a four-letter word. Um, mm-hmm. And I I do think I'm someone who's like ideologically relatively in the middle. If you took like oh, the yeah. average of my ratings, it's not yeah. that I don't have extreme beliefs. It's that yeah. they just kind of like average out.
3: Yeah. Um,
0: but I, you know, I I lean right, I'm sure, mm-hmm. on on balance. So, if you're asking me, I I think what I would say is that there were kernels that are worth defending, probably about as early back as we go. So I'm I'm Catholic, and oh,
2: okay. many of the
0: founding fathers weren't super keen on Catholics having a voice because they thought, hey, uh, we need you know we need a nation state, not a papal state. And uh, <laughs> and some of my Catholic friends think we need a papal state. Uh, so. So I get, you know, I, I have sympathy for both those, those positions. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's this thing about, okay, well, originally certain forms of these rights, or at least the expressed representation in government, was restricted to uh, white, a bit overgeneralizing, but white landowning men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, I don't think that anyone's saying that, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are some very horrible people who are who are <laughs> sure. advocating for yeah. that. And those are probably yeah. people coming from the right half of the aisle. Yeah. Um, but I think that most people on the right half of the aisle look at those people like they're freaking insane. <laughs> um, but fair enough. So th- those people exist. To what extent, I don't know. Um, and they're very loud, but they have their free speech. And we'll just argue them away. Um, mm-hmm. Convince them, you know. And But, you know, something like that, it's even... I do think that there's something in there that is... And this is like not popular at all, right? So this is like the this is the clip that gets cut and like ruins my career and whatever. <laughs> but, but again, like I I wouldn't have started this if I didn't think it was worth it. I I told you before I've turned down jobs because I thought like I'd rather be able to do what I think is ethical than
2: wow.
0: cash in at this point. And it's again, it's not like oh I think like this is something to be pat on the back. It's like no no no. Like if I did this, I know that I'd be violating my conscience. And uh, so. Even this idea about okay, well, maybe not everyone gets to vote. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with bringing back like um, exams to be for people to be able to vote. Mm -hmm. But I do. I I can see how in our modern politics, political parties can take advantage of people who are uninformed and just either try and lie to them and and say we'll cut you checks essentially if you're on one side of the political aisle, Mm -hmm. or say something like. Look at those people over here taking everything away from you and, and mm-hmm. your great country on the other side, and it's like, no, so having some skin in the game in your country, and you know being a landowner is literally having skin in the game in the country. Mm-hmm. so it's like I can understand where there's some embedded wisdom there, even if I think reversion back to that would be abhorrent in the modern context, but like
2: mm-hmm.
0: so so what do I want to do i want to I want to try and revivify this idea of individuals having to have a stake in the country without a way that disenfranchises broad swaths of people especially along demographic lines or something like that Mm -hmm. but it's like well that's not a popular thing to say maybe but i do think that that ideal is worth defending like you should have skin in the game for your country i Mm -hmm. trust your opinion more if you're saying like i'm ride or die u.s yeah and it's like i don't see why that'd be like if we had a Uh, softball league. And you're like, I'm ride or die this team. And like, that's why I've gone through and done all this, you know, work on our batting lineup. It's like, okay, well, I think, I I think you're really interested in the success of our softball team. And, and I think the same thing about the country. So yeah, you asked about an asterisk. I think the asterisk is something like for me anyway, and this is generally true of the conservatives I speak to, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: is that the asterisk is that over the course of history, what is capital T true about this country in the goodness of its founding has been less imperfectly realized over time as a general trend, right? So mm-hmm. not not the not the variance, but the general trend. <laughs> um, <laughs> and in the conservative ethos is we don't want to risk losing that. And if we forget why those things were good and are worth defending, then there's people will say, well, it's a slippery slope argument. Oh, if if X happens, then Y will happen. That's a slippery slope mm-hmm. policy, but no, what conservatives are actually saying there is, you're removing what we think are the limiting principles. Mm. What are your limiting principles? Because cynically, I think maybe you don't. You actually want Y to happen,
3: mm. and
0: but you don't want to come out and say I want Y to happen, right? You mm. just want to say oh X was tyrannical in some way, and so yeah. or the the things holding back X. And so it's like, well, can we have a conversation about what? Justify limiting principles are, and can we have deference to history? Um, I don't. I don't think. I mean, morally, I I'm better than some of our founding fathers along particular dimensions. But on the whole, like, it's not even close. They're running up the score in terms of the fruits that they were able to bring into this world that have unfolded over the last several centuries. And I don't think I'm better than James Madison or Thomas Jefferson or George Washington in those ways, um, even though. Clearly, there's things that I do in my day to day life that are more moral than some of what they were doing, to be sure. Mm. But I don't, you know, those were great men, and, and we have great men and great women in this country's history. And I think, I think it's worth remembering that.
1: Mm. So it's kind of like, um it's kind of like um, how some people are like. And again, might need to chop up some of this interview, but
0: like, you're good. You're good. Go ahead
1: um some people are like like you can say for instance that you like someone's art but not like their um idea
0: yeah yeah so i'll say Um, something so can you like the cosby show for example yeah and be like i bill cosby's like one of the worst human beings in (laughs) modern american history it's like i don't know if you can say those things that's a pretty extreme example but like yeah Mm. you're right can you separate art from artists can you i don't know i mean I don't. I don't think like I'm not sitting here going like you know what I'd really like to do is categorize all of the things that we're redeeming about Adolf Hitler.
1: Mm. That,
0: by the way, I've just given you cover. That will be the thing okay. that gets clipped. Yeah, so that's good. where I was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like no, you know, like the the Kanye West thing over the past. Yeah, time. exactly. So yeah, it's like I don't. Uh, again, a conservative podcast I listen to. Uh, this gentleman has defended Kanye on several of, like the more public kind of displays
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, over the the years especially as related to his family um he's very much like kim and kanye should get back together like it'd be good for the kids that kind of thing um <laughs> you know how he's a because that's what he's focusing on um, but no he go after this thing came out where you know Milo and Kanye and and mm, yeah the mm-hmm. character were doing the rounds this podcaster comes out and goes as a matter of fact you don't have to hand it to adolf hitler and it's like like that is <laughs> it's one of those things that it's it's the wisdom of simplicity. It's like, yeah, you can both believe that there's like a re- you know a divine element of all people. you know, you made an image and likeness of God and still say something like, it's not worth our time to figure out what was redeeming about the rise of the Third Reich. Yeah. Not then people will say, well, why should we defend Thomas Jefferson? Look at these atrocities or mm-hmm. Andrew Jackson. look at those atrocities under
2: God. yeah, mm-hmm.
0: And you know, for all the people and I'm going to use I use Trump as an example because he's very salient in people's mind, mm-hmm. but also because I think because he wasn't the brilliant orator that some politicians are, mm-hmm. it forces us to realize that Amer- he's not the murderer. Is, I'm borrowing from another podcaster. He's not the murderer of American politics. Mm-hmm. He's the coroner. He came and pronounced it dead. He didn't kill it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think it forces us to look at things. And so when he says something like after Charlottesville
2: mm-hmm. and
0: he says, look, there were very fine people on both sides. And, you know, three sentences earlier, he says the white supremacy should, should be contemned totally. And mm-hmm. no one in media focuses on that. And they lie for many years about what he said. But then he says later and there, he goes, look, you know, you, you had people pro- wanting to preserve what they thought was part of their history in this area. Mm-hmm. Now, there's obviously a bunch of terrible people, there too. <laughs> but like whose whose statues are we going to tear down next? You know, Thomas Jefferson owns slaves and people kind of like, oh, this is the slippery slope thing. And it's like, well, three years later, that's exactly what's happening. It was happening to a lot less controversial people than Thomas Jefferson in mm-hmm. England they were tearing down statues of William Churchill
2: hmm.
0: or sorry, William Winston Churchill. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, if you didn't like him, imagine what would happen if the other guy won. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so it's, it's like, again, I'm not saying that I have a master list of like, these are the people worth defending. These are the people we can write off. Yeah, I don't think it's that simple and I wouldn't want that power, but I, I would rather say, I'm going to take my best stab at it and I'll defend people who I think are worth defending or at least the aspects of it that I think are redeeming. And I'll, I'll rely on people like Leandra, who I know is wicked smart in a domain that we both are aware of. So I, I can't just be like, oh, she doesn't know what the heck she's talking about. Because like she runs circles around me in programming. It's like, what the hell am I talking about? And also I think, you know, we don't know each other super well, but like you seem like a pretty ethical person. Like you think through things pretty intentionally. So it's like, I'll just rely on the fact that um, my idiosyncratic errors in judgment
2: mm. will,
0: can be averaged away by the wisdom of the crowds. And that that can be yeah. imperfectly, but less imperfectly over time, expressed in a constitutional republic. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see evidence for a better system. So
1: Interesting. that is very inter- that's kind of like, really, I feel like I learned so much just now, um, which is like really what this whole thing's about. Right. Like learning from the others. Um, first of all, you're too kind. I'm not. That brilliant and really not that great. Um, just <laughs> no, I bamboozled my way into this thing.
0: <laughs> we talked about imposter syndrome last time. I need to tell, remind me, don't let me end in this interview without giving like you some shine about some of this imposter syndrome stuff because that's been really positive feedback from people.
1: Oh, great. Yeah. Great. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, because I obviously I I get it. Um what was I gonna say? Um, I feel like I learned so much just now because I don't think a lot of people know what you just said like about how conservatives how how their thought process like how they're able to still be so proud about these people who did such atrocious things um not necessarily that i agree 100 but now i i definitely know where you're coming from and i know it's not like this weird like malicious or ignorant place like it's it's rooted in a principle Mm -hmm. And and I can understand and appreciate that. So it it really like, it really made me think, you know, I think a lot of these ideas are cultural, you know, I I think that's one thing that makes America so amazing and challenging is that um, you have, people have vastly different experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, like you can't really blame someone for not loving those guys you know if their ancestors were like Mm -hmm. you know all those things um but if you come from a different culture i can understand how you can appreciate that especially if your ancestors came from a place where they didn't have as much freedom or you Mm -hmm. know whatnot so it does seem to be a a cultural at least as part of the equation and i'm wondering your thoughts on do you think that's something that can be reconciled? Should it be reconciled? Or should we just keep tugging on the other end of the rope for eternity?
0: <laughs> that, see, okay, we thought the algorithmic bias question was hard. This is like <laughs> the question, like, what does it mean to live in a diverse and pluralistic community? And like, can that hold? This is an experiment, like people say America, yeah, there's a lot of euphemisms and analogies people give to America. But mm-hmm. one of them is that you hear it's like the great American experiment. And it is an experiment and experiments more often than not fail. All empires fall. America is an empire. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and it will fall just by the nature of, (laughs) by the nature of nature, if nothing else. (laughs) Um, But it's not obvious that you can have people say something like diversity is our strength. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, I do think that like we talked about this last time having, um, uh, pluralistic backgrounds on your team, both in terms of technical training, but also in terms of upbringing, um, and culturally to make a more resilient and informed team. But it was, we conditionalized that on a couple of things on two things. One, um, that there has to be some non-trivial bar that requires us all to get here. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So if we're on a data science team, we all at least know some rudimentary statistics and we can, we know what a for loop is. We've at least heard of programming. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then the second thing was we can all agree on a goal. And or we at least have some foundational agreement Mm
3: -hmm. because
0: to not have one of those two things, one of them you then don't have a data science team, one of them you don't have a team. And so it's like, okay, well, how am I gonna look at someone who says, like, hey, look, I grew up in the third ward of Houston. Um, yeah, Michael, you went to public school most of your life, but then you went to Catholic school for like, you know, this second half of your primary education, and you had the opportunity to go to college. And you know, those doors aren't open for everyone. And I'm glad you've done well, but that's a sample size of one. That's a case, not a, that's not a population. Mm. And it's like, okay, it would be crass for me to turn around and say, well, yours is just a case of one. It's like, no, no, no. Because like, there's real genuine human suffering there. And beyond just like the statistical paradigm, there's like the human paradigm, which is like, hey, do people have a right to feel bitter and resentful about their country? And the answer is yes. Do they have a right to be <clears throat> ungrateful for it? The answer is no. That's my perspective. Mm. So it's like, how do you have both of those things? And it's, I, you know, I don't have a perfect answer for you, but it's like, mm. if you look around the history of the world and around most of the world, even today, where would you rather be? Mm. And, and when would you rather be? And that didn't happen by accident. Mm. And it also wasn't just, be, it wasn't just because the founders got it all right and everything just naturally unfolded from them. That's not true either. Mm-hmm. But there were things that, going back beyond just the states, just in kind of Western canon tradition, that that are worth defending. On our our website, we have a quote about freedom of speech from Frederick Douglass and mm-hmm. Noam Chomsky and Jordan Peterson,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: it's like, okay, well, like that's a pretty <laughs> weird bunch to choose yeah. <laughs> for you know guys who tend to lean conservative. But it's like, nope, because I want to live in an America that embraces as strongly. Our tradition and our culture, and what I mean, our culture. Some people will say that will be like, "Oh, you mean like white culture?" For example, oh it's like, well, man. well, the fact that I'm a quarter Middle Eastern doesn't matter for those people's calculus. But
2: <laughs> I know that it's cool. Yeah,
0: yeah well, uh, all my cousins who are you know much more Middle Eastern than me are laughing right now, and my brother <laughs> and sister who don't look at all Middle Eastern, mad that I'm able to like you know throw that out there. Um, <laughs> but no, no, that's not at all what I mean. And I mean, the the culture that has evolved over time, but it evolved from something. And yeah. it's like, it's not just chance that that, that something was what it was. Mm-hmm. And so I have gratitude for that. That's why I say, like, I don't think I'm a better man than these folks. And so I want to be in a country that says, like, yes, we embrace Thomas Jefferson and we embrace Frederick Douglass. This is, again, I'm going to use Trump as the an example. And I'm going to use the, the example you brought up earlier, where it's like, why do things have to be so, you brought up this, uh. Can we just have a bill we vote on? Like, can it be a (laughs) bill about something and not everything? You know, in response to the the protests and the riots in 2020, because there was both, and like Mm -hmm. it's not popular to say that, but there there were both, and and there was, I think, inarguably, most many of the people, a majority, a vast majority of the people who were involved in that stuff were well intentioned. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Even if I disagree with them Mm -hmm. um, about some things and not Mm -hmm. others. One thing Trump did was he came out and he gave a speech on July 4th. And it was a very culturally conservative speech. And all the news media said, oh, he's giving the speech from Mount Rushmore. But they didn't say Mount Rushmore. They said he's giving the speech from a site dedicated to uh, lionizing like three former slaveholders. And it's like, how dare you, yeah. first of all? Like, you're CNN. Like, mm-hmm. if, but for the freedom of the press, you wouldn't yeah. be here. Like you, you can dog on Trump all day, and you have no fear whatsoever that the state is going to come kick in your door. And by the way, when it does come out that he's trying to wiretap people who are or not even wiretap, he's trying to get information on who's leaking to Adam Schiff.
2: Yeah,
0: people like me come out and say that's wrong, even if I don't think very much Mm of Representative Schiff. Mm -hmm. And but what he said was he said he wanted to, and I don't know, this could have been like a Trump thing where he's bloviating, or it could Mm -hmm. be one of those things where it's like weirdly this like incredibly imperfect individual. Yeah. Had a had something where he forced us to look at who we actually are, not who we think we are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he said something. He wanted to start. He wanted to create a new national garden of monuments, right? Because we had just seen a tendency over the summer to pull monuments down.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: again, the, it's not that the outrage is not understandable.
2: Yeah. It's that
0: there's something worth defending and to put up in this national monument, uh, this national garden of monuments to bring in people like explicitly work to bring in people like Harriet Tubman, Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass, Booker mm-hmm. T. Washington, people who come from um, non-traditional backgrounds when you think about the founding of this country. But it's like, no, no, those people had just as much influence on the more perfect realization of those core principles that were worth defending as mm-hmm. the people who originally put them forward very imperfectly. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how I view it. It's like more people in uh, like a richer celebration of the history, not... Yeah. No celebration of the history.
1: I see. I see. That is so eye-opening. That's so interesting. Um, let's see. So essentially, sorry, I like to like simplify things sometimes. Um,
0: yeah, please. I ramble.
1: <laughs> no, that was great. Um, I'm thinking. So, so like from a conservative perspective, at least from your perspective, it's like the intention. The intention of someone makes the man not, not actually what, I guess what they did. I I don't know. It's kind of hard to to explain. Do you understand what I'm trying to ask? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're saying something like, okay, look, like they had these ideals they espoused, but they didn't embody them in the way that you would expect someone who has those ideals to embody them.
2: Yeah.
0: I think that's totally fair. And so the question is, are they hypocrites? Are they human because we are all some level of irreducible hypocrite, or are they some extraordinary examples of hypocrites, or is it truly just that like you can separate as you mentioned earlier the art from the artist, the idea yeah. from the idea holder? and what I would say is it goes back to the the delineation, which is something like, well, at the time, it was unremarkable, even though horrific, that these people owned slaves. It wasn't viewed generally speaking as like um the social evil that it should have been. Right. And so is that a defining feature about those men in that time period? Mm. And I would say, no, it's not. What is defining about those men in that time period is actually not just what they intended, but what they intended in the form of the, of the government that they helped found. And, mm. and again, I, I keep going back to this, but it's because I don't want people. Cause I don't want people to think I'm taking this lightly. It yeah. was not done well. Or well realized <laughs> for well, a long time. Yeah. And there's still ways that it's not. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, oh, I think this might have been Roger Pluckrose, a British conservative, but if i if I've, or Penrose, I'm sorry, um, then I apologize to whichever, maybe Edmund Burke, I don't know. They yes. said something that the difference between a conservative and a liberal, and they're kind of talking more in the European sense, but it holds here too, is the conservative or the liberal comes to a fence in the middle of nowhere and they says, What's this doing here? We don't need this. Take this down. And the conservative, <laughs> right? Because you're like, what? This is, it's obstructing the beautiful scenery. We don't need this. You know, I've got ideas for this land that I can do something better with. And the conservative goes to the fence and they go, why is this fence here? Right? And so it's like, it's a different philosophical perspective. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Th- is there is there a functional utility to this thing I came across that I don't currently appreciate?
1: Yeah. And,
0: and the, so there's redeeming elements about both those things. And I think you do need both to help mediate um, the course of time, like as you're gonna navigate this thing, you're gonna need, you're gonna need someone. <clears throat> whatever I think of his economic policies, you're gonna need someone like FDR who can be this kind of collective uh, spirit for the country. You're gonna need yeah. someone like like a JFK, yeah, um, mm-hmm. or or an R- or an RFK, right? Right around the same time as King and X, and X. it's you need those people. Yeah, and, and when you when you're staring down the great red threat. You actually do need someone who says "No, not only no, communism not expanding, but no, Europe will be free. And we're not going to have an East and West Germany. Take mm-hmm. down the damn wall. yeah, and it's so it's like you need to be able to throw those switches over time, and we don't do yeah. it great all the time. but <laughs> but I don't again, I don't know a better way because I just anything else is so, it removes the limiting principles that I know kind of keep the guardrails up. Hmm. And so I just, I'm open to the idea that there's better options out there. I'd like to think that I could actually like like, Oh, no, I was wrong about that. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and you know, one thing, for example, the progressives have said for a while is getting like dark money out of politics.
2: Mm, mm -hmm. It's like,
0: I don't think that that's really a defense. Like I'm not (laughs) against corporations donating money, but at the least I want to know who they're donating to, how much, when I want to know when those people are investing in those companies like, I think maximum. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Oh yeah, that was like a pretty good progressive critique of the way politics is carried out here. And yeah. so, so I'm, I'm not so beholden to whatever ideals I have that I'm like going to throw away good ideas when I can understand them. And, yeah, and oftentimes yeah. it's, it's not necessarily the case that just because I don't think something's a good idea means it's not, it might just be that I just don't understand it. That very well could be the case. Um, but yeah, I just, you asked the question, is it the intention of the consequences? I would say it's both. I wouldn't be a good Catholic if I said it's just the intentions. Um, I'm not particularly a great Catholic anyway, but, but mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, I even am willing to defend the instantiation of those ideas in the world, because I think what was distinguishing about, I am not even just say those men, cause that, you know, we're talking about you know, a half dozen or so folks, mm-hmm. but, but let's say the collection of like the 30 most influential people on American politics since 1600, I don't think those men and women, um, Imperfect as they may be, I think what delineates, what distinguishes them is what we're celebrating, not Mm. the evils. And so, you know, if someone had like um, erected a statue of Thomas Jefferson, easy guy to pick on, that celebrated his, you know, I forget what the plantation is he had in Virginia. Like and celebrated that like that horrific, you know, encampment. It's like, Yeah. yeah, I would have a problem with that. But do I think we need to like raise the ground that the Jefferson Memorial? stands on? It's like, probably not. Um, Mm. I think it's okay to, but it's, but it's someone like me, it's my job to go and tell people like, no, no, no. Like, here's why you should celebrate Thomas Jefferson too. And, and take the slings and arrows that understandably come with that and just say like, that's okay. Um, but I don't think that, you know, I'm trust me when I say that I'm also talking to my conservative friends and saying, Hey, no, no, you need to wrap your arms around King. like, like. Why would you cede King to who you think are your ideological opponents? Like yeah. aren't aren't there some d- deeper truths that he spoke to here? So I don't know. I mean
1: that's Yeah. And that's very eye-opening. Like, man, I, I I almost wish that more people on the or who lean left, I guess I would say, really knew what you said and I think it also is the messenger too. I think it has to come from someone who's level-headed and someone who is genuine and, you know, they're not just trying to defend their position, but they're trying to explain why they believe what they believe. So, yeah, I learned a lot from that. Um, and so now I kind of understand where you, where you guys is in cons- conservatively, where you guys come from. Um, and it's, it's actually really cool to understand that you also understand where other people come from. Like, that's really cool. And that maybe is just part of America, you know, us having these different perspectives and different backgrounds. And. Yeah, and I guess it kind of also perpetuates in how things get better, because we kind of. You know, we try to 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 do right, I think, by everyone, at least mm. good folks do. Um, and, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not, <clears throat> yeah.
0: So, you, like I said, you're from the Midwest. There's a lot of people in the Midwest who voted for both Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Yeah. It's like we like, like to forget that. And it's like, well, they're the same people. I mean, you mm. you mature and change in different ways over time or at least you know hope one hopes yeah Um, but i don't think that these i don't view that as a form of embodied hypocrisy necessarily i mean it could be um it could be you know they just tend to fall for whichever candidate is most charismatic could Mm -hmm. be something like that or it could be that there's something about both of these men in that in this case Mm -hmm. that spoke to these folks and it's like well i don't exactly know what that is but i'm Mm -hmm really am interested in finding out and and i don't want to assume that they're all that they were enlightened in one election and then just like you know dogmatic in yeah something or something in another i Mm -hmm. you you mentioned something about uh i appreciate the comment about the messenger i really do um i'm trying to we have honesty courage and wisdom as our values we chose Mm -hmm. honesty as opposed to like facts or something like that or like you know being fact oriented because Mm -hmm. we honesty says something like it's being truthful plus being something like epistemically humble which Mm -hmm. is we're not trying to like throw a bunch of like positive qualifiers our way What we're trying to do is say something we're gonna tell you the truth as best we can and we're gonna be honest about where we're coming from and try and be well reasoned in our thinking so that at least we give as best voice to why we believe what we believe is possible. And then from that, you can do whatever you like with it. Um, Yeah, There's some research by a guy named Jonathan Haidt and and his colleagues. He's got several co-authors. He's Mm -hmm. NYU social psych professor. For those who've heard my other podcast episodes, you know, I don't like social psychology that much because of (laughs) its terrible psychometric standing. But Jonathan Haidt is an interesting, and his extended network, uh, they're all Mm -hmm. pretty interesting. And they have this Research on um it's called moral foundations. So people have this psychological battery that they developed, they've empirically developed like data first. So that's good yeah. for us, right? Um, yeah. about personality. And so they thought, well, could we do that, you know, openness, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, and extroversion? So like, these oh. are like the core, like if you do a principal component a version of principal component analysis, these are the top factors yeah. that kind of come out. But They thought, could we do something like that from moral foundations? Like, is there like, are there distinct, reliable, reproducible um, patterns in ethics that emerge Mm
2: -hmm. that
0: can be validated? And can we trace them between groups? And what they found was that, and they did this for multiple groups, but I'm just going to take the Democrats and Republicans, which is not a great breakdown, but for now it's fine. They found that Democrats were hyper attuned to like a subset, like I think it was two or three of those dimensions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and like way more in terms of intensity of expression something mm-hmm. like that in those dimensions whereas conservatives were way more flat in their structure but it was more representative across the ethical dimensions interesting and yeah, it is interesting it's like well huh what does that mean
2: yeah I,
0: for me what that means is something like if i'm trying to translate this in a this isn't i'm not Claiming this is the scientific way you reason to this, I already said, I don't think much of rationality, but like, if you're trying to take away, like, what's an, can I abstract a lesson from that that might be relevant for political discourse? I think it might be something like, we'll use folks on the left instead of Democrats, but folks on the left, they might be more attuned. The instruments, if they're instruments, if they're, that can detect something like um, unjust disparity that results in suffering, Mm. their instruments are more finely tuned for that than people on the right, let's say. And mm-hmm. so the, the earliest leading indicators you're going to get are from that part of the populace. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's actually useful to know because it's like, mm-hmm. hey, if they're saying, hey, you might want to look at how, yeah, capitalism is great. It you know provides a rising tide, lifts all ships, but also it, like all economic system, it displaces. Yeah. And capitalism, because it has so many fruits, there's not as much revolutionary incentive against it, which I think is good. but. But at the same time, it, it means you can have runaway winner take all scenarios. And mm-hmm. that's ca- like forget about like what it does to people in the third ward here in Houston,
2: mm-hmm. who
0: maybe conservatives stereotypically don't care about, even though I don't think that's true. But like what happens in like Youngstown, Ohio?
2: Mm-hmm. It's like,
0: yeah. So like I do think that this this populism that has kind of emerged on both sides in terms of yeah. economics, it's like that's actually a, a left of center critique of capitalism, which I, I don't make apologies for but I do think oh hey this populism has a point. Yeah. Okay, great. So and then what does the flatter republican structure mean? It means that, well that when we're doing something like making policy decisions, you know Thomas Sowell, economist/philosopher, he has this saying that like, there's no correct decision, there's only trade-offs. I think mm-hmm. for the simplest things in life there's correct decisions, but for anything that's really meaningful you're dealing with trade-offs. Yeah. So it might mean something like conservatives are trade characteristically in general, on average, they're going to be more sensitive to like what trade-offs are happening if yeah. we do pursue this social welfare state. What you know, mm-hmm. if People will laugh at this because it's like, well, what does that do to the budget? It's like, mm-hmm. it, yes, I think the social welfare problem is a bigger problem than what happens to the budget. But I also think we have a budget as a country. Like, I don't think that we can just <laughs> continue to drive. Like, so, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's an interesting insight. And it's, it's not, you know, people will claim that's like some pseudoscientific reasoning, but it's, that's okay. I'm making something like a metaphysical case as opposed yeah. to a rational one. So I don't I don't really care about like that critique, but that's how I think it. it's like, okay, we're tuned for different things. And the strength of that is that at certain time points in time in our history, we're gonna need people who are tuned for some things versus others to kind yeah. of rise up.
3: That makes yeah. sense.
1: It does. Yeah. And I kind of I kinda agree with like your generalization in that. I do think folks who lean left tend to be a little bit like they definitely dig their feet a little bit more into a perspective. And I think it almost takes something fairly radical to like have them consider an alternative given some sort of impact that they are not down with. So like, you know, for instance, the thing we were just talking about with um, the founding fathers, mm-hmm. like for some people, knowing that they own slaves is the cutoff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to look at all the other, like, um, redeeming qualities. Um, whereas I think, at least in my experience, it does seem that conservatives have a little bit more of a, um, on average,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, a yeah, you're fine. More,
1: <laughs> a little bit more of a, um, I don't want to say rounded, but you know, they, for better or worse, they might be willing to overlook a couple of
0: things for better and for worse. Right. Yeah. It can be both those. Yeah, that's fine. I, the, yeah. I don't take any offense to that. Like, look, yeah. you're good. You, one, you're not going to offend me. Um,
1: okay, good. You're too
0: polite <laughs> and you're, I can tell you're trying to be careful with your words. You're yeah. fine. Um, and, uh, and if anything, I'll just say that, oh, that's the general conservative. That's not the Michael conservative. So, um, but no, I look, if someone says like, look, the slavery thing is a non-starter for me. It's like, yeah. what, do, what do I want to like, I, I think people should disagree fiercely. Mm. I don't like this whole like, again, like the the meme essentially of like Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan that they were buddies mm. and they disagreed, but they had a beer at the end of the day. I do think we should go to like to the perspective where like people can go grab coffee at the, like they can talk politics. They can wake up the next day and be like, all right, let's go to breakfast yeah. and, like, and say, all right, we're still going to live in this country together because we're, you know, we have these things we agree on first.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but we should, I'm not uh, glib or naive about the fact. That I think we really do need to have it out with these things we disagree on. Yeah. And if someone says, you know, hey, the slavery thing's a non starter for me, I would just say something like, I don't agree with slavery. A. Like, so please understand, like, you're just going to have to trust me that that's not the end I'm pursuing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And B, I would say that you're not just writing off those I men, you're writing off of all of history that way. Mm-hmm. I would rather write off the element of history that, Deals centrally with the slavery and try and see is there anything that that they had some wisdom that I don't have or that I need to have Mm -hmm. moving forward because I don't I don't think that I happen to be so lucky as to be born in the time where we just got it all right (laughs) where we have all the right ideas now I don't think that that's the case and that's why I say like these men and women who are giants in our history they're remarkable folks even if the average American today uh, is behaves more morally on some very important dimensions yeah. what makes them remarkable is is this thing that makes them different because that's what we that's what we point to and we go hey you can't have individual rights if you don't acknowledge the divinity of the individual mm. and you can go back to like the religious canon of the west and and of other tr- cultures as well but particularly in the west and say mm. okay well where does that notion come from mm. and so it's like if that if that is true then how can you justify slavery it's like mm. you can't um and there's a lot of reasons like a lot of ways to debase arguments that are pro-slavery or pro something like you know, pro-owning people as property temporarily yeah. or or permanently. Yeah. But one of them is certainly this ethic that that this broad tradition has spoken to. And so it's like, well, what do I tell people? It's fair enough. Like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't agree with that either. I don't yeah. think I was born at a time where we had it all figured out. And I know that there's probably things that we as a culture are doing that I'm confident that is. Unethical and wrong, and that we will be judged 250 years from now very poorly mm-hmm. for. And I hope that <clears throat> I have the fortitude to help create a be a small part in creating a culture that moves away from those things, and so that when some when my great grandchildren look back and think that oh yeah, like he took this unpopular position, but it turns out like there was some wisdom there. And mm, I see. um, and it's not because I want like some great historical legacy. I mean, like <laughs> make there's like a dozen Michael Lewis's in the modern age who are more popular than me right now. Uh, it's like the joke. I show up to uh, business school the first day and the senior MBA student, who's a former lawyer and investment banker now, or was anyway, he goes, Hey, have you uh, heard of Michael Lewis? It's like, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> of course I've heard of the author, Michael Lewis. And yes. And no, I don't know him. Um, but you know, my dad is Michael Lewis. So even within my family, oh, I'm not. Wow. Yes. So, um, yeah. so it's like, I make no, I don't have some grandiose thing about like what sort of legacy I'm going to leave. I just think that like, no, no, like again, we didn't get here by chance. Um, We did get here. Like there's some stochasticity to, to uh, the history, but I think generally speaking, when people say, well, why are certain places the way they are at particular times? Like you can trace that. And
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so I don't know. I mean, it's tough, but I, I don't think that that just because it's tough means or nuanced means that it's not, a position worth arguing,
1: right yeah wow i have I have a question i I've kind of been wanting to ask it for a while, and it might open up a whole other can of beans okay uh, so apologies if it extends the conversation too long. but um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like some of your positions are um embedded in your spirituality, perhaps, okay. Um, and I'm, you know, you're a PhD researcher, mm-hmm. um, and you're also like a very proud Christian. At least it comes across that way to me. Um, and this is probably like a super cliche question, but do you? Um, I'm also asking just for me. I sure. don't have like a follow up to this, or I'm not trying to like set up anything. You're good. How do you reconcile <laughs> your faith? <laughs> With you know, with um, with things you that you've seen empirically in life, as mm-hmm. well as with your understanding the scientific method and all that great stuff.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a fair question. First, I'm not a particularly great man of science. I <laughs> I do like the method and and uh, particularly the empirical analysis part of things and the the taking reason and logic to problems. I really really enjoy that. It's a fun kind of game. Yeah, um, But it's a mode of understanding in the world, I think, is just about superior to anything else. But you can't recover the frame that you analyze the world with de novo. Yeah. This blank yeah. slate thing is – it is its own religion. And so, <clears throat> so I think, again, why, Well, where did scientific inquiry emerge? Well, it kind of emerged in the West, and it was uh, large swaths of Western knowledge were then preserved by – uh, the Islamic world, and then later recovered by the West and built upon. But the way I would say is like, there's a lot of people who are way smarter than me in in the man of science, woman of science sense, who are believers. So I don't, I don't view it as like, a, I'm, t- I'm sticking at some like incredibly weird position, even though I do agree. I I do agree. It's like, it seems like I should experience some cognitive dissonance, right? <laughs> How can I exist in both these worlds? And what I would say is, you know, I've mentioned that I'm Catholic, but it's, you know, I, we have a Catholic men's group that meets for once a week, three months before Easter each mm-hmm. year. And this has happened for the last couple of years anyway. And by, well, not by far, but almost every other one of those Catholic guys is, is much more devout than I and has a much richer appreciation of Catholic canon than I do.
2: Yeah.
0: And I, the way I phrase it is I want to get to a point where I can reason my way into a level of belief that they have. Mm. I'm not there and I don't know if I'll ever get there. I don't think I, I don't think I can get there both Mm. because of my own limitations, but because um, faith means something other than knowing. And so, Mm.
2: uh,
0: so it's like, well, do I, you know, do I think the world was like, whatever, 2,500 years old? Probably not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like, I'm not bound by the literal, I Mm. I don't bound myself by like the literalist interpretation of some of the texts. Mm -hmm. But I do view it as, you know, I'm a a fan of, (laughs) this will be controversial too. I'm not exactly sure why it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. I think Jordan Peterson has done a lot of good for the world in in this regard, at least, which is to like say, okay, well, let's recover what is good, true, and beautiful from like the Judeo-Christian tradition. and, And let's go back to the text and actually talk about that. And so it's like, all right, that's... um. That's a worthwhile endeavor. And for all the people who are agnostic or atheists who are in science or outside of science, like God bless you, no pun intended. But also, like you don't get to live. There are people who try and live this way. Mm-hmm. Um, they at least espouse it, but they don't actually live it. And and even if you do try and systematize this at scale, it's murderous beyond the alternative. Um
2: yeah.
0: where you get where you can say, like, well, there's no objective ethical frame. It's like, nope. We all have moral rules we live by. And mm. whether you think that those moral rules are divinely revealed mm. um, or reasoned through natural law uh, in that tradition or from some other source, um, like rationalists kind of have their own expectations, but – and as do others. But I just say something like, well, I, I try – the natural law camp kind of appeals to me most because it's like I, <laughs> I don't want to make a type one, type two error problem, but – guess about being wrong about the existence of God seems like the consequences of that would be quite catastrophic potentially Um, but also I I think that uh, I do believe so yeah I, I believe and I can't get there all the way with some of the strict teachings and so I try at least for now to say okay well how might that be true and I try and reason and I've come up short which means I still believe what I believe and not what the church believes perhaps and then I just try and live a life that's good. And and I judge that by, well, okay, well, do other people seem to like gravitate towards like, hey, this is something like to aspire to. And so it's like, all right, that, that's good enough for at least today. And yeah. tomorrow will be tomorrow.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for answering that. I realized afterwards how personal of a question that probably was.
0: No, no, you're fine. Like, like I said, it's, uh, take no offense. And uh, it's a totally fair question. Like. How can you be someone who's doing, you know, scientific research and also be someone who is kind of wears their faith kind of on their sleeve, more or less. Again, my cousins are laughing because these are like, you know, they're Lebanese Catholics. So we go over Uh to their house for Christmas and it's like a small Christmas is like 60 people. Um, (laughs) So, but, you know, (sighs) prosper, go forth and prosper. And they certainly have done that.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for entertaining that question. The only reason why I asked is because, um like, I can't, I haven't been able to, like, I guess kind of like you, I haven't been able to reconcile a lot of it. Mm. Maybe just with me, it's a little bit more, maybe it's like a, a bigger percentage or something. But I'm almost like jealous of people who are able to do that. And so I was hoping <laughs> almost to be like, like, if you had some secret or something, I uh, hoping to
0: that. <laughs> the only thing I'll say is I try and I try and distinguish for myself and this is helps because I, like I said, at least in that Catholic men's group this past and uh, w- one of the other gentlemen's, his wife, she and I will have conversations as well. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask them like the tough questions for Catholics. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'll say, you know, and I'm not saying like, hey, you have to play defense for the Pope or for these like terrible atrocities that have happened or, or anything like that. But I'll you know, ask them like the historic issues or I'll ask him like, hey, even in the modern context. Mm-hmm. I can understand why you say something like "gay" like gay marriage is is a problem because mm-hmm. marriage needs to mean a thing. and It needs to be that thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a sacrament in the Catholic church that is marriage. And mm-hmm. so we want to preserve that, but I don't understand why that necessarily, I, I can understand that whether or not I agree with it, mm-hmm. I can at least rationalize, but why does that mean that you have to come out against civil unions?
1: Right. I
0: don't, yeah. I don't, get it. And I have the same conversation with in vitro fertilization. I understand because Mm -hmm. um, it overlaps with the abortion issue in in some ways, Mm
2: -hmm. but I
0: can understand parts of the anti IVF situation, but Catholics are about as pro-family as any religion. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, don't you want, like, isn't there something that like really moves you deeply to say like these, this poor couple is struggling. They really want kids. There's nothing else they want in the world. And we Mm -hmm. have the means to help facilitate that. And you're saying, no, And, and there's something called the simple case for IVF, um, which (laughs) I won't get into because some of the logistic details are not like particularly for polite company, but (laughs) essentially like, just think that like a lot of the moral qualms that Catholics would have a problem with are eradicated. And essentially what it comes down to is like, no, there are still some rules that are violated. And Mm. for me, it's like, can I get to the, can I distinguish the reasons from the rules? Mm. Because if I can, if I can trace the reasons, then I can, I can kind of, it's like an on-ramp yeah. And, you know, to like some extremist Catholic group or whatever. But it's uh but it's an on-ramp to at least understanding that perspective. But if it's just a rule, here's the thing: like we'll talk about another fallacy. Mm-hmm. There's this appeal to authority fallacy, right? Oh, you can't talk to me about this issue because I did a PhD in it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I whenever I publish my PhD on fake news,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I will be the world's most open critic to my research because. I loathe most of the people researching fake news because mm-hmm. they do this credentialism argument.
2: Yeah, But
0: it's appeal to authority fallacy. It's like, yeah, you don't want to appeal to a credential or to a title, but if you're the authority you're appealing to is like the divine maker of the universe, mm-hmm. if you can appeal to any authority, I think that that is an okay authority to appeal to. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like if that fallacy is going to be justified, it's like, I can at least say, well, given that this is your perspective and you believe this is the strict word of God, Mm-hmm. it's not a fallacy for you. It's something like, no, I don't have a choice in this. Like mm-hmm. what, regardless of how I feel about it, it is prescribed as such. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's where I can't necessarily get on board, but like, I can at least try and separate the rule, like and map the rules onto the reasons. And then when there's a disconnect, I can say, well, these are effectively functioning as like standalone axioms for mm-hmm. the believers I talk to. And yeah, I don't know. I think the other thing that helps me believe is like, You'll see things like you'll see like art or you'll listen to a speech mm-hmm. and for whatever reason i don't know if this happens to everyone but like some people someone just like moved me for some reason i'm like whoa yeah
2: like,
0: just hits you and you're like okay well what the hell was that and it's like huh, yeah don't yeah. Go, don't go ask the rationalists right because like, <laughs> you know or like the neuroscientists they'll be like oh there's mm-hmm. a, a firing of chemicals and neurons in the yeah brain. Like, <laughs> Thanks. I wanted that sanitized version. It's like, no, it's definitely something deeper than that. And Mm. so it's like, okay, well, you know, you get like little glimpses of Providence. And I think that that's like,
2: Mm.
0: that's pretty cool. And so when I see that, I'm like, okay, that's not to like take Lamar Hamlin,
2: Mm.
0: Uh, you know, what happened with him on the football field. Mm. It's like, okay, we live in a society that is, says, you know, we want to keep politics and religion out of polite culture. And then all we ever do is talk about politics. and Sports has been politicized. But the minute that happened, and there's all politics around COVID and, and the NFL and protests and all this, the minute that happened, two teams of 60 men who are all six foot two and at least 200 pounds and many of them way bigger than that.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: they, tears flowing from their face, hit their knees. No, mm-hmm. like it, was, it wasn't it was even that they consciously like, oh, wow, I now need to pray. It was like, this is what I'm this is what this moment calls for. Mm. And he survives and is doing well. It's so unlikely. Yeah. And, and people will say, well, yeah, like credit to the bill's staff. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. But like, I don't, I never viewed it as mutually exclusive that there can be a divine active intervention mm. that takes place through the work of someone else. And, and I'm not, I don't want to diminish the incredible work that those humans did to, to yeah. make sure that he's still here today. But it's like, it was so weird. Even on Twitter, as vitriolic a place that was, it was, it didn't matter who you were talking. It wasn't, you know, it became controversial later with some of the conversations, yeah. but at first it was just like, oh my God, like, I hope this young man's okay. Yeah. And you get these rare moments where you get pulled out of things. Yeah. You have Kobe Bryant before COVID yeah. happened. Yeah. He passed away and it didn't matter who you were. You were just like, damn. Like, yeah. Yeah. Kobe seemed like a pretty cool dude. He was mm-hmm. with his daughter who you oh, knew he was just yeah. head over heels for. And you, you know, in some sense, you're happy that he was at least able to be there for her when all that yeah. was
2: happening. And. You get pulled out of things. Yeah.
0: And then you get 2020 COVID, all this stuff and you lose sight of that. And then DeMar Hamlin happens. and You're like, Oh, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. There is something beyond what we understand here that we, that speaks to all of us.
2: And yeah. so yeah, that's
0: Yeah. I, I see that stuff and I think, well, I don't understand God and I can't. Um yeah. but I do believe. That's it. I, yeah. I don't know how to say it.
1: Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Michael. Um So I I was curious about that. And I, it seems like you are a, like, um, like a glass half full kind of guy. Um, and that is, I'm, I might be like psychoanalyzing or something, but it it seems (laughs) like you, um, you like to identify and extract the, either the good out of things or the useful out of things. Oh,
0: wow. I like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, which I can really appreciate. Um, I wish that I had that feature because I definitely don't. I'm like, I'm a glass half or half empty, I guess, kind of person. And I try, I don't want to be, you know, but I guess my psyche latches onto the things that go wrong, um, Mm. which is unfortunate. But yeah, that's interesting to hear your perspective
0: well, let me provide you with some recompense because it's in the small acts too that these things are revealed. So like you talked about this young woman with whom you work, I think it was at Microsoft still, where she talked about she chopped her hair and she wore her hair naturally. Mm -hmm. I think that's like the coolest story. Like I just, I think it's so awesome. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not very much, like I get, I suspect we might disagree on this. I, I don't particularly like when things kind of become political or, or activist oriented on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I'm like necessarily against it. It's just that when that's all it is, I kind of view it as yeah. like, I don't exactly know what this platform is used for. And I really don't like the responses when people are like, Hey, this is a professional platform. And then they're like treated like they're like the worst person ever for saying that. <laughs> and it's like, so like, but at the same time, I, I remembered that post uh, when mm-hmm. you had made it. And so it's yeah. super cool to see that like someone else saw it and they're like, Hey, that spoke to them in some deep way.
2: Yeah. And
0: did they go through a cognitive process where they rationalized it all? Maybe. Did mm-hmm. they only do that? I don't know. I think it's probably spoke to something true in them that they maybe can't articulate. And it's like, all right, yeah, that's great. I think it's ridiculous. Like, I just cut my hair this week. Oh. Nice. If I rolled out of bed and went to work without doing my hair before I cut it, <laughs> I would expect to be thrown out of my very unprofessional PhD closet that I live in. <laughs> okay. So like, I don't like this idea that there's a, not the idea. That that there was a stigma against this yeah. stuff at some mm-hmm. point is and this is one thing I think our generation and subsequent generations get right. It's like that's ridiculous. Yeah. And being able to speak forthright about that is, I think, great. And what does that mean? It's like, well, oh, are you saying that there should be no standards for professional? It's like, no, I'm just saying that that standard is bullshit.
3: Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and um, and so, like, good on that girl and good on you. And also, speaking of good on you, I can't. It's been—I don't want to make it sound like it's been hundreds, but there's been more than a handful of students that I've recommend. I've recommended this podcast, our first podcast, to everyone because I teach a bunch of analytics and programming courses.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but some of them they really resonate. It's like, yeah, they get excited because they get to hear about like your successes in data science and kind Mm -hmm. of hear about like the different on ramps. But, Mm -hmm. Lander, let me tell you, like the people who most kind of vibe with this stuff are people who. Feel like you felt at that one conference where you're like, man, I want to like call mom and pack up and go home. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, okay, well, great. Maybe that's the purpose of this conversation. Maybe it's not, Hey, how do you get a job in data science? Maybe it's, Hey, how do you get out of your comfort zone and like put yourself Mm -hmm. out there and learn how to make meaningful connections? And like, wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be great if that was actually like one of the things that one person took away, let alone five or 10. So it's like, all right, I have to work hard to be positive. Like it's not in my nature either. Um, again, mm. I, you know, I'm the John Stewart generation, um, Yeah. <laughs> but one of the wisest things Barack Obama ever told John Stewart allegedly in private was, mm. Hey, like you're really funny. And skepticism is one thing, but cynicism is way darker and mm. don't, you can be a skeptic without being cynical and be careful because you don't want to make people cynical. So I'm not, I don't know if I'm glass half full. I just try and force myself structurally to, to seek out good things and, mm. it it at least helps um, distract me from what would otherwise turn me cynical. Um,
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but you should
0: be able to say things. My first podcast episode is about an entire research stream that I think is mostly garbage, um, but it's very popular. And Mm -hmm. so I talked about it in a very polite and relatively politically correct way. Mm -hmm. But if I, if you and I were just talking at Starbucks, Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and talk about like this individual metric from this paper. I'm going to be like, Leandra, it doesn't predict anything other than brain activity, <laughs> and if brain activity doesn't manifest in terms of real world action, why are we care- why are we spending hundreds of millions of dollars on this? Why are we? Yeah. Why do people have tenured positions? So it's like, I'm human too. Like, I just <laughs> what I focus on, I try and even with our news we made a new change this uh, two weeks ago. We Mm -hmm. add it in. We start always with the top story, and then we have a list of different categories. It's usually three or four page document, just hyperlinked to articles around the internet. Yeah. And the last one we always include now is a white pill story, like this kind of like Mm -hmm. mimetic thing for something like uplifting, because like I don't want people to go through and read what news is mostly like not the best thing to read, but I want people (laughs) to have something that like, hey, if they if if nothing else, they can come to the newswire and they can say, hey, what's like a feel good story about something that happened or that came across our radar in the past week, and it's like, all right, cool, like, yeah. That's cool. Like I think that that's the, the base state of nature is suffering and chaos and destruction. And it's way easier to criticize than to build.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But people well, I would say people like you, Leander, are capable of building. And so, like, how cool would it be to like not just criticize and be exacting in that way, but also to build up? And I think that I do think that you do that as evidenced by at least that interaction with that one girl you had.
1: Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, I think you remember I was just as like surprised mm-hmm. <laughs> to find out that she did that. But yeah, I do have these like crazy moments where I realize that I've had some influence on someone and it's really humbling actually because you know I, I haven't figured a lot of things out, you know, I still have imposter syndrome for like I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's crazy. That like, I almost feel like a hypocrite sometimes, where people are like, Oh, you gave me hope, and like, I'm over here being <laughs> super cynical.
0: <laughs> no, no, those can both exist in parallel. It's not hypocrisy, yeah. it's the human condition, yes. All right, so I have taken up a lot of your time, but I do, I do want to because you were sneaky. See, I said we'd keep it open, and then you turned it into a ask Michael a bunch of questions, <laughs> uh, but no, it does, good. Uh, I appreciate it, but I do want to. So, we mentioned this universal healthcare thing, and it's not because I want to like debate the politics of that, yes. but because I think that this is an opportunity for you to explain, like explain to me, like
2: mm-hmm.
0: in a way that, that it makes sense to you. And, and then you get to hold me accountable when we have our third conversation about, okay, so what did I get right? Like, yeah. forget the fact that you might disagree. What it, What's correct. So,
2: mm-hmm. so
0: you said, it's interesting to me what stuck out. I think perhaps most thinking back about it now is that you said several times, you're fiercely progressive on some things.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, I do think people should be fierce about their politics because their politics are something like the civic instantiation of their core beliefs. It's okay yeah. to be fierce about them. it's It's not okay to be fierce about them and then say, to hell with the other sixty percent of yeah. the country. <laughs>
3: um,
0: but you' mentioned that a couple of times, and you didn't provide any ex- specifics, and I wasn't mm-hmm. going to ask necessarily. Yeah. and I wasn't going to ask about the Republican thing either. um, but you offered the the immigration <laughs> thing at least as a potential nugget there. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting that when you did mention something, you said universal healthcare, and it was like unequivocal. I could tell that that's something you're like, this is like this is yeah. a hill on which I will die. So yeah. like, so what is it about that problem that speaks so much to you? And also, why do you think it's so relevant right now? Like, why is that one of the mm-hmm. next things that needs to be addressed?
1: Yeah. Um, and first of all, I could be completely wrong too. You know, this is just kind of my outlook on life, but. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, there are very few things in life that should be guaranteed to everyone. There's very, very few, very, very few. Um, Some conservatives, for instance, might believe that everyone has the right to own a gun, right? Like that's a human right, basically, to some conservatives. Um, I guess I think that (laughs) (laughs) some, not everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm that bullish, but with healthcare. Uh like the same thing. It's like I think that like what's that saying? Like the only thing that are guaranteed in life is death and taxes or something. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: like (laughs) like we're all gonna die. Like for the I mean, I hate to be like super negative in that way, but we all get sick, you know, like we all get disease or something, you know, it's going to happen at some point. And so I don't think people should be financially punished for that, for something that just happens to everybody. Okay. Um, and I think that the way things are currently set up, if you get some terrible disease, um, it's basically a sentence for losing everything, you know, every material thing, sure. uh, you can lose your house, um, your credit scores, shit, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that just doesn't feel right to me. Um, and I don't know any other way to guarantee health care to people other than through that method. I, I know some people feel like, you know, some people have a critique about maybe the way the military's health care works or, you know, like, oh, that's a good example of why not to do this. Um, And then other people can bring up like Scandinavian examples as the counter argument. Mm -hmm. But I just think that it's something worth trying. Um, It's something that would hypothetically in a perfect world benefit everyone in this country.
2: Okay. And.
1: I also understand that some people are saying like in some countries that have at least some form of universal health care, they'll say, oh, well, you'll be waiting in line for like months, years for this surgery, right? That's a common rebuttal. Mm -hmm. But I would say some people in this country don't even get to stand in line because they will never be able to afford that surgery. So I think at least having a line is better than not having a line.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, there's going to be some conservatives, I don't think Anyone who I'm friends with, but there will be some People who hear what you said and They'll hear Bernie Sanders saying It was a good thing that there were bread lines in The Soviet Union, which is like <laughs> No, the hell it was not um, but, what you, but I take what you're Saying, right? You're like, hey, mm-hmm. it's better to have A rope to pull yourself out of the pit Than to just say, well, I probably Wasn't going to make it up there anyway, but So who cares about it or having a rope? It's like, no, no, I'd like To at least try um, <laughs> So I think that's fair. So this is interesting because you actually are espousing a like a true progress like I don't know if it's true progressive, but like a true extreme form of and I'm not yeah. using that pejorative of of universality. You're not just saying like everyone should have access to a primary care doctor. You're saying like essentially going beyond prevention to treatment as funded by tax dollars, I'm assuming something like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all right, I'm I think it's a fair position to have obviously i think it's a very salient point for a lot of people obamacare did obama did a great job through the affordable care act of raising the salience of this health insurance problem for a lot of folks one of my favorite things to do by the way is to talk to people i know are partisan and be like hey uh you're a big fan of donald trump my father um <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
0: what are like two or three things you thought were great about obama and to his credit he like without a I was like i gave him an example because i thought i was gonna have to, like, course it. i don't I was like, what about, like, you know, hey, you can't be denied for insurance for mm. pre existing mm. condition? He goes, oh, yeah, not just that, like also staying on your parents' health insurance plan. So mm. I think both those are great. And mm. he had one other He's like, oh, yeah, you know, the courage it took to actually make the call to go after Osama bin Laden that night was mm. like, because like there was no guarantee that one, it was going to be him or two, that it was going to go well. Yeah. And he was advised, including by I think our current president, to not do that. And uh, oh. he's like, it took some stones. And so, pardon the terminology. And so, um. <laughs> So, like, okay, well, all right, that's good. So, and so I, I like to do that. Um, and I do think this healthcare is, a, I don't think anyone thinks our, our healthcare system works well as a general rule. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you're saying this. Would you, just like uh, if I say something like, I think Thomas Jefferson is worth defending, and I have to trust that you trust me that I'm not saying I want to revert back to some sort of like people as property system. Yeah. I also don't think that you, I don't get the sense from you that universal healthcare is a pathway, is a gateway drug to socialism, which is a gateway to communism, right? Like I'm just, you seem to say something like, hey, there's people suffering from medical conditions and maybe they could suffer less and even even maybe more than that. Currently to not suffer under those conditions, they have to negotiate against themselves in the future Mm -hmm. um, because they're going to lose credit scores hurt. They're going to have to go into major debt. It's going to put their families or their family units in a very, uh, bad position. Mm-hmm. So I, I have two quick questions for you. And I this is a genuine question because I don't know the answer. Yeah. Do you think that these are that, that universal healthcare, I'm sure it's been done or at least proposed. Do you think it's possible to try it out at a smaller scale mm-hmm. than nationwide first to, to see how it works, to see what goes well, what doesn't?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, That did happen. I don't remember what the state was. I got to look that up, but I think that did happen. Um, But to answer your question, yeah, I think that would be great. Um, There might need to be some considerations, though, like. Like, you know, the poorest state in the country is doing this experiment. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But. Yeah. I, yeah. Experiment away. I think it's, it's a good idea. Um, and I think we should also experiment on how it's funded. Cause I think another reason why people are a little, um, concerned with it or they're thinking, Oh, well, I'm going to have to pay for it. I'm going to have to pay for someone who smokes three packs of cigarettes every day and someone who like eats McDonald's every day or something. Um, so maybe there's other ways to fund it. Um, And also America's like the richest country in the world. So like, I feel like, you know, we can find some dollars somewhere for it without, you know, overburdening the middle class. Mm -hmm. I I think that's possible. Um, And maybe you can even experiment with other stipulations. Like I know, for example, on a lot of insurance policies, you get like kickbacks for taking like a certain number of steps every day or something. There's like these little... Yeah. Maybe we could do something like that where it's like, okay, if I don't know how you would enforce this, but right. yeah. But if it's like, hey, if you are doing these healthy things mm-hmm. and you get a, you know, you go get your physical and your doctor cosigns that you're actually doing these things or you're doing something right, mm-hmm. then you continue to get that universal health care. That might be interesting as well. Um but I do think there's a better system than what we have now because like unless you're wealthy, um, if you up and get cancer or something, your you might be screwed and your family might be screwed and they have to make the decision, do we sell our house or do we save grandpa? You mm-hmm. know? And that's just if we have another option, I don't see why we wouldn't at least consider it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think our our excellent healthcare is excellent. And if you have insurance, I think, generally speaking, as long as it's a average to above average plan, our healthcare system works fairly well. But there's a whole lot of people who don't fall into that category that, you know, we don't get to just ignore. Um, and we, even if we could, we shouldn't. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a totally fair critique. It's one of the arguments. The, big, the thing I'm biggest hypocrite on is factory farming, because like, I know it's a horrible evil. And I still eat I eat less meat than I used to, but I still eat plenty of meat. <laughs>
3: yeah. um,
0: and it's not all just like whatever we hunt. I mean, some of it's that, but not all of it. So I don't know. Um like that's the thing I'm biggest difficult on, but I do think that there is something that needs to be done on the healthcare front. I took a class with and uh, which by the way, I just told you like I think appeals to credentialism are nonsense. I'm not bringing it up to say I took a class on qualified. I took a class (laughs) and the guy who taught it was, he's a former primary care physician, former Mm -hmm. medical malpractice lawyer, Mm -hmm. MBA at Rice and now teach is a professor, at both Rice and the university of Houston. Wicked sharp guy's name's Edward Kroger. And I took two classes with him. The first one was great. It's essentially principles of healthcare. And he Mm -hmm. essentially detailed like, Hey, there's a lot of people who like free marketeers who are trying to say, this is how you fix healthcare. Mm -hmm. But that works in like the abstract, like on paper sense, which is kind mm-hmm. of funny because conservatives always critique people. It's like, oh, you're like an idealist and like, mm-hmm. yeah, it works in your head. But it's like, no, no, in this sense, like, like if there's no price transparency, how do you have a market mechanism that you know that functions properly? So it's yeah. like, yeah, okay, fair point. He kind of talked me off the idea that like we presented a lot of other data too that maybe didn't make us look like we were quite as good, except at the upper levels as we could be or should be, but I don't know what the solution is, but i do, I definitely agree there's a problem um, how much if, if you if I may ask
2: mm-hmm.
0: because a lot of these Scandinavian my understanding is i don't have a i don't can't pull the numbers out of my head or anything like that, mm-hmm. but there's different models for this type of thing and and you can have public and private coexist I mean we have it now, but we can have a more expansive public system exist yeah. with a private
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but the Scandinavian countries, my understanding is that they have even their, you know, working in middle class pay mm-hmm. tax rates that are substantially higher mm-hmm. than what our current working in middle class pay,
2: mm-hmm. net,
0: not just gross. Yeah. And so, do you have a figure in mind that's like this is like the maximum threshold that would like the average American should be, or like maybe bracketed, you know, it's progressive tax rate.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, or is it something where it's like, no, I want to start with the cost, and then mm-hmm. we'll we'll figure out a way to do it, or is it something like? I want to do as much good as I can with this pile of money.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a number, of, a number of things to consider. I'm not a public health professional, but um, I think there's an argument that there's a lot of money that can be saved by actually going into this kind of healthcare structure mm-hmm. um, because there's like a lot of bulk. You know with administration and and things like that so i think there could be some money perhaps saved there um i also think our country spends a lot on some things that maybe doesn't need that much money
0: <laughs> say it say it with the chest what do you got what is it
1: <laughs> um the military,
2: military? Uh, and i'm not sense. talking
1: yeah and i'm not talking about like money that is used for veterans I'm talking about money that is being right. used for like contractors and all this other stuff,
0: war fighting budgets and exactly yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. exactly okay. um, And when it comes to the tax part, I mean, I think I remember I don't remember if it was Elizabeth Warren or if it was Bernie Sanders or maybe it was someone else, but they were proposing a speculative tax on like stock trading or something like that. Um. Mm. So basically taxing Wall Street, essentially. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that. That's also another thing. Uh, And I don't like to answer your question, just so you know, I'm not trying to walk around it. I don't uh, like, yeah, I don't have a specific number, especially like the distribution of it across different Mm. like, you know, income levels. Um, I feel like generally the middle class is always the one that gets messed up i I try not to say bad words um but i would hope that's not the case Mm -hmm. i would hope that um well for instance there are some companies who don't pay all the taxes that they should pay because there's loopholes or you know tons of things and it's like maybe they should pay a little bit more taxes if they're selling to the american people on american soil and they're um, incorporated in America. it's like, well, maybe you should be paying your effective tax rate, not this bullshit tax <laughs> rate that you get after all these loopholes take effect. So yeah. I think there's a number of like things <clears throat> to look at before we talk about taxing this shit out of the middle class. because um, i'm i I would like to avoid that as well. Yeah yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. The middle class gets kind of stiffed because, you know, um, they they actually some of them are actually net payers into the social welfare program, mm-hmm. um, meaning that they put in more than they get out, which is not necessarily true of people who are in lower socioeconomic status. Yeah. Um, but they're also not in the financial um, financially free situation that people in upper brackets are. yeah, um, yeah, you make one argument that definitely appeals to me to the anyone who wants to like cut administrative bloat. I'm like you have an ally in me, no questions <laughs> asked. I do wonder. You talked about Bernie Sanders. I think it was Bernie Sanders who had something. I don't remember the exact plan, but it's like taxing yeah. like the these like microtransactions that are done yeah. in, in algorithmic trading or something like that. Certainly Wall Street trading. And then Elizabeth Warren had something where she and she's since pushed for this again. I think this is highly unethical. And I don't even know how you could I don't think it's constitutional. I don't know how you could possibly enforce it. But it was like something like um a tax on your net worth because what will happen oh. is like these CEOs will say something like, Oh, yeah, I'm worth like $60 billion, but I'll take like, a, you know, a $100,000 a year salary. And then I'll just take out a loan against my net worth because that loan isn't taxable. Right. So I can like live off of a $2 million a year loan, pay it back. That's no problem. And oh. so I would say rather than taxing someone's net worth, which can change like that overnight.
3: Yeah. and
0: And also, it's not clear that you have the, the public has a right to those unrealized dollars.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Just tax the loan (laughs) that they take out. One of the things though, you said you want to talk about like a, you know, a true tax rate versus an effective tax rate or, um, you know, tax rate on paper versus tax rate in reality.
1: Yeah.
0: I am sympathetic to this argument because I don't think you should like Texas pretty business friendly state. um, Yeah. And I think that, States should be allowed to be as business friendly as they want without engaging in like cronyism. Mm. Um, So to the extent like this stuff is a function of, you know, corporate lobbying that's corrupt in some way, I'm with you. But I do also wonder, and I I worry about this in our current environment a lot, like if you make certain cities or states or the country as a whole relatively uncompetitive in terms of a tax friendly environment, Mm. like we've got a lot of raw talent here, we've got a lot of raw materials here, Mm. uh, we've got, a you know, great populace i'm certainly biased in that regard but i you know i think that you know is, america has a lot to offer but countries also don't exist as a expression of altruism typically mm-hmm. um so i i do worry that certain schemes could push companies away and then you then you've reduced the whole the size of the pie that you get to pull yeah. from as opposed mm-hmm. to saying how big of a slice yeah
2: um,
0: but, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's trade-offs and it's not, to me, it's not self-evident that that's unreasonable at all. Mm-hmm, and especially, mm-hmm. you know, if someone's worried about like, well, what about the working middle class? It's like, well, we're trying to find ways to minimally impact them. I do think that, by the way, conservatives are like, yeah, we want to increase social benefits, but we're not touching the military budget. I think that's so disingenuous. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah.
0: come on now. Um, just like I think <laughs> it's disingenuous to go, cut the other way. Be like, uh, Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: But,
2: okay.
1: Yeah, no, that that's fair because I yeah I have heard that concern as well. Like, oh well, we're gonna push countries away to other countries that will give them like a better mm-hmm. effective tax rate, um, and that that might be so. I'm not sure. I'm not super well versed in this area, but I just hear situations like where Americans are paying like hundreds of dollars for a medication that another country is paying. For like cents on the dollar right it's like how is that like they figure something out over there yeah.
0: uh- <laughs> yeah. sometimes yeah. it's a function of research subsidized by american r and d
1: yeah
0: and uh, and then those companies need the intellectual property rights to recover that investment but it's not always clear that uh these pharmaceutical companies are Operating on razor thin margins, let's say. Um, <laughs> so I do think there's some play there. And it's also crazy. Like you talked about. Um, you know, I want there to at least be an option for people to have healthcare, even if it's not great, but at least mm. they have that option. Mm. Um, I think it's not even there are people who don't have the option, but there are people who are opting out of pursuing health care
2: mm. because they're just
0: like, it's not worth it for my family. Um, the quality of care I'm going to get relative to the debt I'm going to take on.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm going
0: to inconvenience. And this is such a terrible thing to think, but if people do think this, it's like, I'm going to be such a burden on my family. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I will just, you know, suffer through whatever I have to suffer through. And Mm -hmm. if it's a chronic issue, it'll be a chronic issue. If it's something more systemic then you know, when my time Mm -hmm. comes, my time comes, it's like, man, for as like for the progressives, I would say like, Talk about how great a country America is or could be, and then talk about, like, how this is no longer, like, this can't be, like, the standard. Yeah. And, and then conservatives like, look, hey, look, <laughs> they're speaking to the ideals that speak to you, and find a way to figure it out. For for the record, I do think that there's some appeal on the right these days, particularly on the populist right, around things that are specific forms of subsidized uh, healthcare. Mm. Um, like, for example, childbirth. Mm paid family leave, uh, which I know is not exactly healthcare, but it, yeah, it overlaps yeah. potential uh, expansion of COBRA benefits. Okay. I do think that there's some extension of primary care because prevention is typically more cost effective than treatment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, they're conservative, so they're going to want to means test everything. But, but, you know, I mean, that's not unreasonable. You know, you say something like, well, Hey, if you're, you know, I like you know donuts and brownies as much as the next guy, but if like that's all my diet consists of, and I change smoke cigarettes <laughs> and I rely on like this you know public affordance, then I'm also foregoing my civic duty, and so you know it's like you're, I think you had a good point, it's like meet biannually or whatever you know tri annually yeah. with your physician, be doing the things you can do, and that looks different for a lot of different people but um and then you know we'll have it out, I suspect something to be upbeat about on your end is that your argument is appealing to a lot more people than maybe what some of my counter arguments would, would be. And so um it would be, if let's put it this way, I would be thrilled to be wrong about this. I would yeah. be so happy um, yeah. if we could figure out. And that's why I look to some other countries. I think France is the one that I've heard most recently where it's a parallel infrastructure, but the, I'm speaking like beyond what I know, but my understanding is <clears throat> the public sector offering is, yeah meaningful and widely available
2: mm-hmm.
0: and produces better results than our current healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, well, I'm going to argue with that. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> seems like a pretty silly thing to argue with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people argue that our country is too big for this sort of thing. Um, we have too many people. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure if I understand that argument entirely because it seems like it would be based on, Wealth, as opposed to number of people, Mm -hmm. uh, because let's say France is made up of I don't know ten million people. I just come up with a number, Um, but we have like five hundred million or something like that. It seems to me is not so much a number game and more so, can we afford to do it for one, and Mm -hmm. can we sustain? Can we sustain a healthcare system? We can actually see people because, like, for example, in 2020, when COVID hit, Mm -hmm. our hospitals were like ransacked with like they were, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it was bad, it was bad. Um, but I think that's because we were not prepared for that level of uh, patient intake, Mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering if there's a way around that too. I mean, I don't know if that's a perfect. Um, comparison with like everyone having healthcare one day and now everyone wants to go and now Mm -hmm. hospitals are going to be overburdened. I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but to some folks point, yeah, there's probably going to be more people going to the hospital than now. So like, how do you prepare for that?
0: Yeah. But your point is that's good. Those people need care, right? Yeah, Uh, (laughs) and, uh, And that's, I mean, that's a fair point. And just like, I think the biggest uh, ethical critique I've heard of of this type of approach is you don't want the government involved in decisions about ra- uh, rationing care. Yeah, it is a travesty that people will self ration care for the reasons we've talked about. But you, I don't want the government playing a role in that. I don't trust. I don't <laughs> trust most of the governments that currently do that. Like yeah. I really loathe them. Um, but even our government that I you know think moderately to highly of, I
1: don't mm-hmm. want
0: them involved in that. But but if things aren't working as the, the way they are, then we should be willing to try something. And I'm also with you. It's not obvious to me that just because the population is bigger means that this is not a viable potential option, as long yeah. as productivity is relatively yeah also bigger.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, I do think the point about COVID and the system. This is like this was a huge W in the economic populist column, as opposed to like the you know neoclassical or the neoliberal camp. Mm -hmm. Which is like, hey, all of you guys did all this offshoring and all these efficiency measures and just-in-time delivery and lean staffing and all this stuff, which makes great, right? Like you could drive costs down and you can drive shareholder returns up. And Mm -hmm. I'm not like I think shareholders should make good returns. Like that's great. I want people to be productive, but but when you get a large exogenous shock to the system, and it's not nearly as bad as it could have been, Mm
2: -hmm. when you get
0: that shock to the system, all of your just-in-time stuff gets disrupted and it's correlated across the world.
1: Yeah.
0: And you don't have the, the staff because we saw people other than the nurses on TikTok, which drives me crazy. <laughs> um, like I am like a old curmudgeon that in that way, um, <laughs> even though I know that for most of them, especially early on, it was way to like blow off steam and like fair enough. Cause if anyone needed to blow off steam, it was those folks.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but you know, we didn't have enough resources to keep people like on rotation. We didn't have the facility space. One of yeah. the most remarkable things was China in the early days. You know, they they erected some like enormous two hospitals across the street from each other. It took them like eight days to build it or oh. something crazy like that. And you know, something like that in the United States would take years. And yeah.
2: uh,
0: it's good. You know, we have environmental regulations and safety regulations, but also in a time of a pandemic, it's like, hey, we need facility space. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: so yeah, I I'm with you. I I don't know how universal healthcare would interface with that. I suspect if 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 it led to a healthier general population mm-hmm. then in times where there is something like that god forbid then mm-hmm. we would fare better than we did generally which would mean that it would be less of a strain on the healthcare system hopefully
1: yeah yeah you're right and like i don't think we should require people who don't want to go to the hospital to go to the hospital either you know like mm-hmm. i remember some people got mad when i think I don't remember what administration this was. Maybe it was Obama's administration. So I know um, Michelle Obama was really big on like healthy food and stuff, but didn't they like start taxing like soda or something like that? Oh,
0: (laughs) that was um, Mike Bloomberg in New York. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Um, And it's like, (laughs) yeah. And it's like, okay, well people, I mean, you're gonna punish them for liking soda. I mean, like they have the freedom to to get soda if they wanna get soda. I think that's fine. But now I'm I'm thinking like, how does that play into the whole universal healthcare thing where right. it's like, yeah, everyone has the freedom to eat KFC every day, but would they also have the right to health care that's uh, federally funded, given that they've chosen to have that lifestyle. That's a whole other right. thing.
0: Right. Yeah. You know? And then, you know, do you really want to like I don't want to be in a position, even if our elected official, to be like floating on like, these people get health care, these people don't. I mean, that's yeah,
2: yeah, that's
0: rough. Yeah, yeah. I, But I do think that there's a way, if we have this conversation in a protracted fashion, um, that we can arrive at something that is better than what we have today. And for sure, one of the dimensions of better will be more available at an affordable price to people. I do think that is yeah. something that... It, it's silly that any of that is it's like the thing about voting on one bill. Yeah. Or the, thing, or the thing about like celebrating a richer understanding of American history. I don't see why those have to be partisan talking points.
1: Yeah. Really.
0: So I think you'll I think you'll find in some of the more rebellious sides of the right that you'll um you have good allies on on that front. And also for whatever it's worth, Jimmy Dore is still pounding that drum every chance he gets. So he's still I mean,
1: he better be because that was like his his like thing. Yeah, Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be shocked if he changed his tune on that.
0: Yeah, now he's a free marketeer. He doesn't want any government regulation.
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Do you watch at all? Um, boiling points with um
0: breaking points. Uh,
1: breaking points. Sorry, breaking points with Sagar and a uh, crystal ball. I do. Yeah, I figure you would like that. I'm assuming you do like it because they they also have like this. Mm-hmm conservative liberal or sur- actually I would say she's more progressive conservative progressive type um, discourse that I really appreciate too yeah
0: I, yeah I think yeah if people are like do- like if people still want to be informed on the news but they'd rather unplug from cable news and print yeah. media and social media
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, the number one thing they should do is subscribe to FreedomCast, cast and number two is they should subscribe to breaking <laughs> points um, no I really do I think so S- crystal ball is a former uh, she used to she ran for political office. She's a former commentator on MSNBC, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's a yeah, I think you're right. She's a progressive in good standing on some of the culture war issues. I think she's yeah. more middle of the road, but she's <clears throat> economic policy, healthcare policy. She's certainly progressive.
2: Yeah. And
0: Sagar and Jetty is he's like the what I think they call um. It's not compassionate conservatism. I can't remember what it is, but it's it's the it's essentially a populist version of conservatism, mm-hmm. and they're friends as far as I can tell. Like they genuinely are friends.
1: Yeah, and, yeah, um, they look like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and he described himself once as I think a fiscal conservative, um, and I think he tries to distance himself a little bit from the culture war stuff. Um, which I understand, and I feel like Crystal does too to a certain degree because they're more like policy focused. Yeah. It Feels like, yeah, I agree. Which I can appreciate too because that's that's what it boils down to. Me is like, what are you? What are you proposing? What is the policy here? You know? Yeah.
0: Yo, yeah. well, again, talked about it's easy to criticize, but you're you're looking for what do you build? I think that's good. I think yeah you. I don't think you're as glass half empty as you think, because if you were, you wouldn't have any vested interest in seeing what people are going to build, right? There's something there that you think, oh no, there's hope or there's something to aspire to. So.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, perhaps.
0: Yeah. yeah, I do like them. I think they're great. Um, yeah, people should check them out. It's yeah. it's diff- like if you haven't ever seen it before, it's going to be way different than cable news. But like, give it a couple episodes. It's a f- it's a informative format. They do. They don't have commercials either, which is super helpful.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so they could have maybe not a three hour conversation, but they could have a back and forth for half an hour.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Love them. And mm-hmm. uh I believe I believe that Crystal is either dating or engaged to Kyle kolinsky who mm-hmm. is way more progressive, I would say. Yeah. Um, but they're both, you know, lefties. And uh I enjoy his commentary every now and then too.
0: Okay, see okay, so you have to send me some videos because uh-huh. there's a couple people on the left who I know are very popular. Kyle Kolinsky. Mm-hmm. Um oh, what's Chan cousin's oh. name? Hassan yeah. Piker. Oh
1: Hassan, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Hassan Piker. And I don't by the way, I'm not saying all these people are equivalent. To me, it just kind of right looks right like right. a blur of people over there. <laughs> um, oh yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, it's a the whole thing. It's yeah. like um there's people who I think are more professional, like Sagar and Crystal. And then you've got sort of like your debate bros, like okay. and Bosh and a lot of those. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. So it's it's a it's quite a. It's quite a rabbit hole on the left, I would say right now, like. It's kind of nuts. I try to stick to like more Sagar and Crystal mm-hmm. these days because a lot of these folks, um. It just, it almost became a game to them. Like, oh, I want to debate this guy and to, like, call each other, like, stupid and stuff. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I do like, I do like a good debate, but I don't think that, uh, you know, you actually, you mentioned um, Intelligent Squared a couple years ago to me. Yes. Uh, Big shout out. Another great podcast. But, But, yeah, this whole, like, exclusive, like. Debates for clicks thing. I don't know if that's, yeah. and, and by the way, the right is at least as guilty of that as, as the left. So, <laughs> yeah. like, the, there's no shame. Here. But K- Kyle Kalinske and Brianna Joy Gray, and there's a handful of others, oh, yeah. I've seen them like engage in a way where I'm like, oh, this is so unconvincing. But <laughs> because I don't see them as much, mm-hmm. and I could be very well just get getting like a biased representation because whatever I happen to click on is going to be, you know, different on average than what their general disposition is. So yeah. if you have some really great points yeah. from them, send them my way, because I would like to have a better appreciation for, you know, the, the, um, the good influences on the left and modern discourse. I think I have a couple of who I really like crystal being one of them, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd like some more, especially since yeah. it's tough to, I, I can't sit there and watch Hassan or destiny, like stream a video game for three hours. And talk politics. I
1: know, I know. Um, I know. And it's like two hours long too. Um, are you a Steven Crowder guy at all?
0: Uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I like his, he has this, he had a format for a while where he says like, does this change my mind thing? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. And I,
0: I did think that other than like the meme of change my mind, the actual <laughs> production of change my mind was pretty good. Uh, yeah. I, Cause I don't think it was this like whole like, boom, facts don't care about your feelings type debate. It was much more like, okay, you talk about it and we'll sit down and talk. And I love that he would go into hostile environments, Mm -hmm. hostile to him. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And uh, yeah, and I thought he was generally respectful there, but I don't, I'm not like a, I'm not a member of Mug Club, sorry guys, (laughs) uh, or anything like that. Um, So, you know, but I I do, in his early fights against some of the YouTube content moderation. I was a fan, not because I agreed with him so much, but because I said, okay, well, again, yeah. slippery slope, you're removing my limiting principle. What's your new one? So yeah. why, do you, why do you ask?
1: Uh, Cause I just heard about the whole drama going on with him. And I think is it the daily wire?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I didn't look into it too much, but I know there's some discourse in the right with that. And, um, I, I don't, Sometimes I watch some Daily Wire stuff just out of curiosity, like to see what they're talking about. Um the I would say one person that I consistently watch every now and then, her name is Amala something. She's a black girl. Um uh, mm-hmm. and she has her own like blog. And I think she's part of the Daily Wire, technically.
0: She might uh, be part of Prager You.
1: Prager You. That's who she's part of. Yeah. yeah. Prager You. I, I like her um,
0: really okay that's true. she's newer right
1: yeah yeah, yeah um I don't always agree with her, but she sure. she does i I like her temperament and I think she makes a lot of good points and she is not she doesn't seem to be malicious um, yeah. so i I like to watch her stuff every now and then,
0: okay, cool. Yeah, I'll check her out too that's awesome i've I've seen her kind of pop up more and more uh recently and She's pretty young too. Like, there's a kind of new age of social commentators. I'm really impressed because yeah. uh, I'm like, you know, again, like getting to, like to the to the older generation where you're like, oh, <laughs> these kids these days. And then, you the know,
1: young kids. <laughs>
0: you know, some of them pop up and you're like, man, these kids are sharp. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. okay, cool. Um, yeah. I think one person that people on the left may gravitate to a little bit from the Daily Wire mm-hmm. is a guy named Andrew Clavin. He is, he's an older gentleman. And he's mm-hmm. a smart ass, but like I think that's on the job description for the Daily Wire folks. So we just have to appreciate <laughs> that going in. And then yeah. it's not a big deal. But he's someone who was a former atheist and former he's not like I walked away from the left type guy, but he he's someone like, you know, I grew up as in Europe as a, you know, a conservative liberal over there, meaning uh-huh. something left of the right here. Uh And he's kind of come around. I was rewatching the episode after the Roe v. Wade decision came, the the episode that happened while the Roe v. Wade decision was coming out. Mm -hmm. He starts out the episode like saying, hey, you know, we may have some breaking news. And he has this whole fictitious monologue he gives at the beginning, which is not politically correct. Okay. So like,
2: (laughs) (laughs) it is just not politically
0: correct, but it is generally funny. And I typically find the parts most funny where he criticizes the news media. That's kind of my
2: mm,
0: argy nemesis it. at this point. Um, not the whole news media, but particular yeah. actors within it. And so he'll have this monologue and it's, it's, it's pretty funny. But uh, mm-hmm. if it seems weird, just don't let it throw you off. It's like he's being facetious for the first mm-hmm. minute and a half of his podcast. But this nice. episode after Roby Wade is so powerful. And I know that this is a controversial issue and understandably yeah. so. Mm-hmm. But like, it comes in like 20 minutes into the episode or something. News breaks. He comes back from a commercial read and mm-hmm. uh, or an ad read. And he's like, it happened. And you're watching this dude who spent, he's in his, I'm going to insult him. I don't know, 60s, probably mm-hmm. late fifties or early sixties. And, you know, very much with it and, and witty guy, but you're watching someone who sacrificed a career in Hollywood because of his beliefs, mm-hmm. um, see like come to fruition. What is one of his most deeply held, uh, aspirations in the political environment. And not even the outlawing of abortion, though he is certainly anti-abortion,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, pro-life, whatever the
2: <laughs> s- semantic
0: framing one prefers. Yeah. It's because he also has this great um, callback to Antonin Scalia, the former mm-hmm. justice yeah. on the Supreme Court, who said after the Obergefell decision, the gay marriage decision, he said, essentially, look, my issue is not so much with what people consider marriage, the state has a right to determine that. The people have a right mm-hmm. to determine that. My issue here is who rules me. And after today, mm-hmm. who rules me is nine justices, the majority of the nine justices on the Supreme Court. And Antonus Glay was a devout Catholic. Oh. So um, like certainly much more like by scripture than than me, anyway. Mm-hmm. And so you know he had a personal interest there. But his his whole dissent was not this is wrong biblically or something like that. It was mm-hmm no, no, no. Like we've, we've short circuited the way we go about doing this. And Mm -hmm. so you watch all of these things and the way he articulates himself and he's in tears the whole, like for a good portion of it. And you think, man, here's someone who's like for decades, like really like suffered at personal cost and he's doing fine now. He's making good money. He's writing books, doing podcasts. Great. But like he, you know, he did sacrifice for what he believed in. And this is clearly one of the things that he most came to believe that spoke to him. And it was like, Oh, Okay. Kinda of cool. Like I'm I'm glad that because really neat to see. And uh, and he does a good job, I think, when he's not being a smart ass. He does a as good a job as, as any of them and probably better than any of them about uh, talking to an audience, or even if you're not a conservative or a Republican, mm-hmm. I think you can find something there because he's he's much more strict on the small L liberalism of mm-hmm. the states, about freedom to choose different things in yeah. the um, and about caring actually about the social welfare of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, again, like kind of honors where it's like, okay, people can like disagree, but then still be like, ah, oh, I'm, if I'm going to listen to a conservative, I want to listen to Clavin as opposed to Crowder yeah. or, or whoever else. It yeah. It.
1: Interesting. Is this the same guy that, um, I watched one of your, I think more recent interviews and you guys were talking about a guy who debated a doctor or a nurse or someone. About abortion?
0: Oh, you watched my interview with Kyle Maxwell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, Kyle's an interesting cat. Uh, he, yeah. He's another young guy who's, he's reading really broadly. and yeah.
2: yeah.
0: you can tell interacting with him, he's trying to figure things out for himself. But mm-hmm. I really admire the fact that he's doing it out loud in public. Yeah. And because um, that takes, you know, guts because... <laughs> You don't know if two weeks from now you're going to say, you're going to come across something that, you know, Dostoevsky wrote, and you're going to be like, well, (laughs) just kidding. I don't believe that. But I just went out there and, and and so he's trying to piece, you know, something like an ethical framework together.
2: Yeah.
0: But no, that, that episode was a guy named Michael Knowles, who is the, I mentioned a conservative podcast earlier, and I've referred to him a couple of times in this podcast indirectly. And he is someone who is very much, there's two people at the Daily Wire who are kind of self-described theocratic fascists. <laughs> they use fascism because like, it's a label that gets bantied around right? So, yeah. so frequently that it means nothing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But they,
0: they're very much more like <laughs> – it's not that they think the pope should be the ruler of the United States or anything like that. But they're very much more like, no, no, we're going to defend like the Catholic theology. Um, wow,
2: okay.
0: And so, again, that's not like explicitly what they come out and say, but it has a guiding um, theme to the arguments they make. And so he's mm-hmm. one who did that. And he had a debate with, oh, I used to know her name. Um, it's very unfortunate for her I- as far as I'm concerned. Um, and maybe it's scored points in her political circle and, you know, more power to you, but I don't even think she did a particularly good job representing oh. herself. She's a med student. Um, so she's practicing oh. medicine, but you know, cause med school lasts like know, 17 decades or something like that. <laughs> so she's not done with medical school, but she's, you know, she's in, still in the practice of it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think, um, As I mentioned to Kyle, I would describe it as he Michael allowed her the courtesy to Mm self-immolate. I understood what she was trying to say. I think she made her points fair enough. But when you try and like peel back, like what we're just doing with universal healthcare, it's like okay, well, but why? And we're trying to like roll back and say, okay, well, where at least can we trace back to where we disagree? Yeah, because we, you know, you know, we both see something wrong here. There was no depth to. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying she's not, she may have thought about it very deeply. She might just be someone who caught off guard, had a bad day, maybe doesn't perform yeah. well on camera, but it was not well done on her end. Um, and he is someone who, as much as I loathe, he's has, he gives inflammatory speeches like science is fake, not because he doesn't <laughs> believe in science, but because he knows it'll get a rise out of people. Yeah. Um, so he's and, a troll. <laughs> yeah. He, the, the New York Times has described him as a dapper lib triggering troll. He wrote a book in 2016 called – "Reason." I I know this because I have another book of his right here that I'm eventually Mm going to get to. I didn't buy this first one, but it was like Reasons to Vote for a Democrat, and it was mostly a blank book. Like, ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Like, it's the same joke that everyone makes about the other party every election cycle. He just, like, convinced some publisher to bind together like 100 blank pages. Anyway, so yeah, he's very much (laughs) troll-y. But what I really like about him is – Again, I think he's got the statistics stuff way wrong because it's like he's like, yeah, statistics can be like misused and abused, and the the other side does that a lot. And it's like, yeah, I, I, maybe, but also, statistics can be really great for actually appreciating yeah. what you don't understand. Um, but he's by trade, he did like a dual degree in like history or art and Italian, oh. so he's he's like he's the humanities major. Mm -hmm. in the classical sense of the humanities. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: so for me, the interesting thing, there's not like whether or not I agree with him on politics or religion or anything. That's not really why I, when I do listen to him, that's not why I listen. I listen to him because it's like, oh, I'm so technical day to day Mm
2: -hmm. that it's
0: interesting to hear the humanities perspective on this. And um, yeah, so like, it's like, and it's also way different than what the stereotypical conservatives, at least over the last 20 years or so have been Hmm. A lot of the cases they've been making. Um, Hmm. And I think he gives a lot of deference to people on the left in terms of, no, they actually understand this way better than the conservatives do. I still think they're wrong, but they actually have like a way better um, understanding of particular problems or particular critiques of modern society. Yeah.
1: Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'll I'll check out that video. Um, Because I remember you guys were really talking it up and I forgot to write it down.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. And again, if you disagree or if you think that there's someone better, by the way, who like, who does do a good job giving voice to this, if that's a particular uh, issue that that you think is particularly salient, Mm -hmm. then like send it my way. I'm all ears. I like what you said early on, which is like, you actually enjoyed discussing things with people you disagree with. You said this in this podcast and the last one. Yeah. So, um, and this has been great so far. So, you know, I believe you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, Maybe I'm not completely a glass half empty person because I do like to think that most people, maybe not everyone, but most people have come to their perspective in a pure, with pure intent.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Like Mm. people who are against abortion, which Mm -hmm. I don't agree with, but I don't think they just hate women on average. (laughs) I think they truly, you know, are concerned for children, you Mm -hmm. know? um and that's a really hard thing to convince someone against so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah you're definitely not as uh, half glass half empty as uh maybe earlier part of the conversation would have let on yeah which is good because it means not only are you a good critic but it means you're someone who can help build
2: yeah yeah
0: awesome well leandra i've Wrapped you up for three hours here. This is awesome. This is the uh, longest podcast so far to date. Oh, wow. There was one that was about the same. We had to split into two episodes, but um, this was certainly the longest and most coherent. Um, is there anything you want to close with um, before I just throw the little tagline at the end? Is there any? I'm assuming you don't want to like you're not selling a book or anything. But is there <laughs> any? Uh, do you want to push any Microsoft products or anything yes. like that <laughs> before you uh, get out of here?
1: Um, no, I don't. I don't have anything to sell or plug. Um, but um, I'm I'm happy to, to, you know, share my perspective on this platform. And if it does anyone any good, I'm glad that that's the case. And thank you again for having me on a second time. I really appreciate that.
0: It is my pleasure. And it's all part of my plan to rope you into doing a podcast of your own on Freedom FreedomCast. Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, three- that's mostly a joke, but also if that's at all interesting, let me know. Um, and yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. I, I tell people all the time in classes I teach uh, professors I run in circles with that like, there's a group of really about five data scientists um, who are my age, plus or minus, let's say four years. And I tell these pr- professors and these students, like these are the, some of the sharpest people I know. I don't know if I just, dis- I, I don't know if I agree with them on anything. So I think you and I have kind of, raised the awareness about that. We do disagree on some stuff in this yeah. episode, but I've seen how they operate professionally and how carefully and uh, deeply they can think. So that's a huge asset and so rare. So it's, I'm happy that you have been the flagship uh, the flag bearer of those, that cadre of people that you don't know you're a part of, except that if you looked at my LinkedIn messages, um, <laughs> To come on the podcast, and as I mentioned, the first episode was well received, and I'm quite confident this one will be as well.
1: Awesome! I hope it doesn't negatively change people's perspective of <laughs> me at all.
0: <laughs> it shouldn't. Uh, we need to live. Part of the reason we we started Freedom Cast is we said eyes wide open. We're not going to be stupid about things. We want to not live in a culture that says we have to delete our social media history. We have to turn our social media accounts private. Um, yeah. I understand. It is the smart thing to do. But as my friend Sam would say, it's not the wise thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be a part of embodying people who say, no, we're going to set up a different incentive structure. We're going to be part of the incentive structure. Michael and Leandra can disagree on universal Mm health care, on gun rights, on abortion, or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And we're going to argue fiercely and politely (laughs) over podcasts. But when it's not on podcasts, Leandra might be like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) you That's fine. And we'll sit down and... Your husband and my wife will be there and we'll have a beer and we'll crack jokes and we'll talk about the Midwest or <laughs> Ohio State or whatever is relevant at the time. Chat GPT. And, uh, yeah. and we'll go on uh, living together in the society because that's uh, that's worthwhile.
1: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, we would love to come down to Houston and meet you
0: guys. Yeah, 100%. Anytime you're in the area, just let us know. And if we're ever up that neck of the woods. Yeah we'll First let you know <laughs> yeah yeah I'm trying to think we have some we have like one family member kind of moved to that area recently so if we go up and see him we'll definitely let you know um nice but yeah like I said I, I mentioned this last time if you're ever in Houston love to take you guys out on the town we mentioned all the great food spots so you just let us know what kind of food you want and we'll uh, we'll find a place and uh, we'll have a great time
1: awesome can't wait
0: yeah same Leandra it was a pleasure and until next time folks Stay honest, stay rigorous, and keep speaking freely. Thank you for joining us in this conversation. From is to ought is a Freedomcast Network production. Please reach out, make your voice heard, and engage with us at freedomcast.locals.com or via social media. Accept the adventurous responsibility of becoming part of the constructive force that builds on the wisdom of the ages toward a more resolute fulfillment of our deepest principles. In closing, I want to leave you with a thought from a poem about this great nation that has not always lived up to its due billing. Inspired by American poet and iconoclast Langston Hughes, a man with great-grandparents who were slaves, whose father left him in an early age, and who died less than three years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act. This man who himself embraced elements of socialism, and even, at times, praised its more malevolent cousin, communism. Imperfect and brilliant, confused and exacting, this man left an indelible thumbprint on american culture it is from that influence and in a spirit of gratitude that i appeal to his ode let america be america again a poem with revolutionary impulse yet laden with traditional themes of resilience a yearning for a genuine patriotism and a responsibility for making this country live up to its foundational and potential goodness two in a phrase say it plain America was never America to me, and yet I swear by this oath, America will be.